This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Matt Townsend here with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang's all here doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. And today, no exception. Holy cow. Uh... Tropical Storm Nate, it's uh, it's creating some problems, but thank heavens, not as big of problems as we've seen in other places. It uh, it was a tropical storm, but uh, tropical storms nonetheless bring a lot of water. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and uh, anyway, it's uh, just wanted to bring it up because didn't want anybody to think we were forgetting you. The prayers are out again, and uh, not a lot, not a lot, not a lot, of, not as much, it doesn't seem like, information um, coming out about Tropical Storm, Nathan. But, um, Terry, what? Uh, let's just get to the headlines and get right to what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to. What, uh, what should we be worrying about? As you said, Hurricane Nate made landfall twice in the United States over the weekend and was immediately downgraded to a tropical storm and then a tropical depression as it made its way along the southern region of the country. Residents Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi were the hardest hit, and the second landfall occurred near Biloxi. Um, According to the National Hurricane Center, the storm made its first landfall in Louisiana with a maximum sustained wind of 85 miles an hour. Nearly 300,000 people in Mississippi alone were without electricity Mm. overnight into Sunday. So So it's, it's gone all the way down to a tropical depression. Yeah, it's just really it's lost sad and but, down. I mean, there's a, a feature on Snapchat. I know you're on Snapchat, uh, <laughs> where you can look at the map. Yeah, right. You look a map of the U.S. and you can zoom in on a certain area and you can see all the videos people have posted. And during Harvey and during Irma, it was crazy. During I went, went through Maybe. Biloxi. There's there's yeah. trees down. People, you know, power outages, but not as much of the. Uh, some areas were pretty hit yeah. by the storm surge, but I mean, right across, right along the coast, it wasn't so far. Biloxi's seen before. some pretty ugly storms before too, so right. it's probably like, ah, eh, we can handle this. It's like, ah, this is fine. But still, it's water. In other news, President Trump on Sunday went scorched earth, as this says, against Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee, saying Uh-oh. the Senate Foreign Relations Committee chairman didn't have the guts to run for re-election. Bob Corker begged me to endorse him for re-election in Tennessee. I said no, and then he dropped out. He said he could not win without my endorsement. Trump wrote on Twitter, <laughs> adding, he also wanted to be Secretary of State. I said, no thanks. This is all in quotes. Oh, wow. But I he, get the feeling that this isn't 100% true. Well, he also largely uh, he's also largely responsible for the horrendous Iran deal, the president said. Uh, Corker, who advised Trump's transition team on foreign policy matters, would be a negative voice and stand in the way of our great agenda. Corker responded to the barbs later Sunday, writing on Twitter, It is a shame that the White House has become an adult daycare center, someone obviously missing their shift this morning. Trump's tweets <laughs> underscore his longstanding anger at the uh, congressional Republicans for not fully supporting him. Corker said in the New York Times article on Sunday that he believes that President Trump could be setting the country on a path to World War III. At least he didn't say somebody <sighs> missed their nap today. Yeah. Corker, that, that whole part about uh, Corker asking for an endorsement and Trump saying no. Um, the chief of staff for Corker went on record saying that the that Trump actually called Corker and, and said, hey, you need to run. I'll endorse you. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what the chief of staff for Senator Corker is saying. Yeah, so he said, she said, it's fun. But again, this is this seems like really weird behavior 
for the leader of the GOP. Yes, to go after a senator. A sitting GOP senator that has a lot of influence in a state. Yes. Especially when there could be indictments in his White House. And, you know, there's other things going on that you might want to pay attention to rather than an outgoing senator. Maybe he doesn't want to be reelected, so he just is burning bridges purposely. Maybe. Hmm. Speaking of another distraction, Vice President Mike Pence left an NFL game on Sunday due to uh, a decision by some players to kneel during the national anthem. He says on Twitter, I left today's Colts game because uh, POTUS and I will not dignify any event that disrespects our soldiers, our flag, and the national anthem. While everyone is entitled to their own opinions, I don't think it's too much to ask the NFL players to respect the flag and the anthem, Pence said. Trump later tweeted that he asked Pence to leave if any players kneel, disrespecting our country. So Mm -hmm. uh, NBC News White House correspondent Peter Alexander asked, uh, asked on Twitter if Pence leaving the Colts game was a political stunt. Reporters were told to stay in the van because, quote, there may be an early departure from this game. Hmm. So they knew it was happening. I mean, you knew somebody would kneel. Twenty players knelt. It wasn't a secret. This, you know, it's not over. Yeah. They're not just going to stop. And uh, as Trump said, he goes, "I asked him before he left to do this." Yeah. And so it's just a setup thing that happened. And a, then, PR, a PR, a uh, PR stunt. The, then there's the question it. of flying the vice president to Indianapolis for a yeah, football well, game to simply costs. just walk out the door. It's possible he just had some really bad nachos or something and had to get out of there. Could be. It's always about nachos with you. (laughs) Dallas Cowboy team owner Jerry Jones said Sunday night that any player on his team who disrespects the flag will be benched. Last week when it all flared up, the whole kneeling and President Trump and all that, there's uh, reports that he called Dallas owner uh, Jerry Jones four times asking him to please don't have your team kneel during the anthem. Because it's the Cowboys. It's a big deal. Please. Oh, please. Oh, Come please. on, guys. Please, oh, please. Really? Yeah. And, Four times. Uh, but did no, so no Cowboys knelt? No, they did. And Jerry Jones did, too. Remember, they knelt yeah, before yeah, yeah. the anthem but, and then stood with oh, arms linked yeah. for the anthem. Yeah. Yeah. But none of his knelt during the anthem. So apparently... No. And now we're seeing if they do, they're benched. Which yeah. would be funny. Let's see if... Uh, the uh, what's uh, the quarterback? Elliot, even, yeah, and, or, and the running back Elliot and the quarterback. What's his Dak name? Dak Prescott. Yeah, let's see if they sit. If either of them take a knee, let's see what happens then. Your your bench? No, he's not going to do that. Yeah, that's like the number one lesson you learn as a kid, though. If everybody does it, nobody gets in trouble. By the way, what, my son, my son had somebody Strength kneel numbers. in his in his class hmm. in his they kick him out middle school class. Do they kick him out? No. No. Interesting, because kids Just, are getting kicked out across the nation for kneeling during football games or classes or whatever. Yeah, hmm. Just kind of an interesting social thing happening. Yeah. And finally, it was a big weekend for me, Matt. Why? Huge development. Oh, let me guess. Let me oh, guess. Yes, yes, yes. I a trailer what... was released. A pre-trailer. Yes. Going not, not to be a real released. trailer. Well, there was a trailer and a pre-trailer. <laughs> oh, mercy. So Sunday morning, Warner Brothers released a new trailer for the Justice League movie, right? It's okay. going to come out on November yeah. 17th or so. The trailer begins... With Lois Lane walking on the porch of the Kent farmhouse in Kansas, mm. Superman or Clark, whichever way you want to go at this point, he's standing nearby in a cornfield. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because of the events in the trailer, you get the idea it's a dream sequence. Oh, but it's okay. important because if you remember, Superman died in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Thanks a lot. Which is ridiculous. Well, Spoiler you, alert. If you haven't seen it at this Spoiler point, alert. that's your fault. Um, so he died in that movie. So. Which is important because this Justice League movie will have elements Mm -hmm. of this Death of Superman, Return of Superman, Mm -hmm. 1992 comic book Mm storyline 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because... <laughs> mm-hmm. Matt's in, halfway in, out the door I know, by I know, now. This is awesome. mm-hmm. But in that storyline, mm-hmm. his body mm-hmm. was put into a regeneration matrix in the Fortress of Solitude. Now I'm interested. To bring him back. So my question is, will they go that far? I Matt, do not know. Matt I, wishes he was in his Fortress of Solitude <laughs> right now. Will they go that far to, to, to include the, the regeneration matrix? I don't care if they will. I want to know more about how you re, what's this regeneration matrix because I may need it. We know this exists <laughs> because there are Lego sets yeah. that have been previewed at toy fairs across the country uh-huh. that show a Superman in a black Superman <sighs> uniform, which is what he's wearing when he comes out of the regeneration matrix. So now he's a black Well, it's a black suit, suit with like a white S. And so mm. they're like, oh, I've seen that before. And then they go to the 1992 series. And Why is everybody is. moving away from the red and the white and the blue? Because that's what it's. Yeah, a, everyone's it, moving away from the it's red, a white, jumpsuit you wear in the Matrix. You'll change back. It's fine. Don't worry. Hold on. Is that what we call his suit? A jumpsuit? Sort of. In that situation, it is. Now, that was that was one. Now mm-hmm. that that trailer came out Sunday morning. It has nine million views. That pre-trailer? Right now. No, that was a trailer. Okay. The pre-trailer, mm-hmm. Disney announced that tickets for the the Star Wars: The Last Jedi will go on sale following the release of a new trailer during halftime of tonight's Monday Night Football. Wow! So I went and looked. You cannot buy the ticket yet. I tried. <laughs> I will get them later tonight. Disney did release a thirty-second teaser, actually multiple ones. It shows Ray. Ray. She's the girl. Her name's Ray. She's she's the uh, like a ray of sunshine. She could be the Jedi. She is a Jedi. She has some Jedi type abilities. She could be the last. She's a pre Jedi. She could be the last Jedi. But at the end of of uh, the the Force Awakens, she Skywalker's on this island. So (sighs) so who's the last Jedi? Mm -hmm. What's happening here? What what is the the true defining moment of a movie about the last Jedi? But there's two. Well, Jedi is plural. Is the it, last Jedi. Is. is Jedi plural? Yes. The word itself is. So the trailer, <laughs> you see Ray. She's on the island Akchato with a lightsaber mm. instead of her trademark staff. She never actually wielded the lightsaber. Is this what Finn. you did all weekend? Yeah, I did. It was pretty awesome. That and football. Boy. What's it like to be married to you? <laughs> My wife just sort of Does she away. listen to you talk about this? Yeah. She wanted to send you a text of warning that this uh, may happen. I wish she had. Yeah, I mean, I would have read up. I would have studied up. Mm-hmm. It's all right though. I, I think I think we're all better now that we know that there's a Justice League trailer that you can now stop work and go look at for a few moments. Yeah, it's got some funny jokes in it. It's got some more humor. I, boy, I wish I found it about a tenth as exciting as you. And think. then Star Wars will be <laughs> exciting because we get more of that and that comes out in December and you can purchase tickets so you can set up a weekend in December which I already cleared with my wife. I was asking her like what's the what's the chances that your family tries to pull one of these weekend Christmas parties on the release weekend By of what? the Star Wars movie? Why would that matter? Because then it's like how do you tell your family I'm sorry but we're not going to be there? No, just you, don't, go. you just go in the day. Just go and sneak out at some point. Say, I just need to go get something for my car. Well, we have to put the I kids need more somewhere. eggnog. And then just come say, back three eggnog. hours later. It's really tough. You put the kids in the closet at your sister's house. Uh, we'll see. And it's not my family, so I don't want to speak for my wife as we're both leaving. Good point. Yeah. By the way, I, really good point. Are there some sour grapes in here or something? Because I noticed that Joe Cannon is not going to be on the show, and I'm wondering if that was uh, on purpose. 
because yeah, he said it's because you keep making up songs that lo- don't <laughs> match <laughs> his personality. Right. I think you didn't want him on the show because the Los Angeles Dodgers over the weekend went up two games to none. Why? I love the Dodgers. Do who, you? Who are they playing? Yeah, exactly. They're playing the Diamondbacks. Wow. I'm, but I, if I had to choose, I'd rather have a Dodger than a mm. Diamondback. Just That's because true. <laughs> snakes you don't want to be scare me. Yeah. yeah. But I'd rather have a Diamondback than anything that Terry just talked about. Really? Yeah. What about this though? Would you Superman. rather? <laughs> There's Superman because he's Justice League. By the way, has nothing to do with Superman. Isn't that? He's a founder of the Justice. No, but League. that's uh, that's the Supreme Court Justice League. No, right? no. Batman with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Superman, and Does... Wonder Woman founded the Justice League. But doesn't Ruth Bader Ginsburg go through that regenerator? No. And and she she goes in wearing red, white, and blue. Comes out wearing uh, a black cat outfit. No. Wrong. I must have seen the wrong trailer. <laughs> Would you rather face a diamondback or a cub? How big's the cub? Big. But cubs are cubs, right? It's big yeah. for its size. It's, yeah. a, it's big for a baby it's, it's bear. Big, it's big boned. I'd rather have a I'd rather have a bear, a little baby bear. Hmm. Okay. I think you could play with that a little bit more. You could tease it a little bit more. I used to have the famous dream as a child of the snake chasing me all through school. The famous famous one? Yeah, that's remember we had our dream guy on, and and being chased by snakes was one of the dreams. Huh. I mean, people have like like they're drowning or they fell off a building or something. No, I was chased by a snake. And now I know what it means. Right. But the snake could never catch me. I was always one step ahead of the snake. Okay. But I could never rest. And that was me in fifth grade trying to. You know, get through math. <laughs> it was math. It was math. So the snake, the metaphor for math. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of snakes, um, apparently Kim Jong-un uh, has taken his sister and made her some really big dignitary. Yeah, in... she's in the the government somewhere now. She was – she accompanied him on trips – for some reason, and yeah, now they've given her an official position. The official uh, travel. She was in like the propaganda, the propaganda wing. We call it public relations. They call yeah. it. Well, Trump, I think, calls it propaganda. Well, they probably don't call it propaganda. We call it propaganda. It's really just public relations. Yeah. Send all your public so relations related complaints to Matt Townsend. Thank you. Yeah. So she's um, <laughs> she's really uh, she's now a bigger. She has more responsibility. Right. But really, very little. I watched an interesting, um, was it Frontline on PBS, about how Kim Jong-un came to power and how he took out many of his family members because, you know, you don't want your family members trying to take you out of power. Right. And then uh, there was the the whole case where in a Malaysian uh, airport, he uh, is believed to have had his stepbrother assassinated. And, oh, ooh, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to this day, North Carolina, or North Carolina, uh, North Korea yeah. says that, the other yeah, North. The other North. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get to the Dakotas either. Yeah. But North Korea says that that is not the stepbrother, the man that died there. Really? Mm. It wasn't. It's not him. But so who was it that died? They're not saying. And where's the stepbrother? They don't believe it's him. Even though Malaysia's like, yeah, it's him, and North oh, no, Korea killed him. him. 
that they showed the security cameras of the guy walking through the airport, and there's four North Korean Secret Service agents kind of following him through the the airport, kind of watching. Scary as this whole thing. They're just leaning against pillars, and no, I've been watching a around. lot of spy shows lately, and yeah. that's scary. Yeah, like having North Korea or the KGB back in the day, just kind of wandering around it. watching you. And then when it happened, they all scattered and jumped like four different airports and went back to North Korea. They followed their immigration. How do you get back to North Korea? You have to go through Dubai. Oh, that makes sense. Go through Dubai because apparently nobody has like direct flights. It's you crazy. have to scale that tall building in Dubai to get there. Oh, that's scary. And then you hang from it? Yeah. Upside down with what one it? suction cup? That's right. Or if it's Fast and the Furious, you drive like super expensive sports cars from one building to the next. Well, yeah, that either way. from one parking. Yeah, either way. From one parking garage to another. I hate it when you have to jump parking garages. Yeah, it's jumping. So, yeah, very interesting. But, yeah, North wow. Korea is a uh, crazy place. And then, so now what, the, the trend with Kim Jong-un is family members keep him as far away as possible. Oh, for sure. He's taken out uncles. He's taken no, out all he's kinds the of guy, people. He's the guy that everyone's afraid of at the Christmas party. But apparently his oh, sister's yeah. fine. Yeah, go ahead. What do you get for that guy? What kind of a Christmas gift, gift card. do you give? Give him a gift card. Safe? Is that the safe bet? And I, with him, I'd, I'd give him probably an NBA gift card gift, gift what, card to get a jersey from the NBA. There you go. Yeah. He's big into that. Not in hair gel. You know he runs out of hair gel. <laughs> hair gel. Trying to keep his hair like it is. Man. Oh. Just don't play that secret Santa floating gift game where you can steal somebody's gift oh, yeah. or, or, un- or unwrap a new one. How would you like to be the guy that stole his gift? <laughs> you will be radiated. <laughs> that's scary. I don't think he, that's not his real accent. No. By the way. No, I'm not sure what that was. Um. Wow. Think so, a snake bit your tongue. I think we've covered it all, right? Oh, well, one other thing from Axios, and I know Terry can give us some light on this. Maybe. Apparently, uh, President Trump has been urging his staff to portray him as a crazy guy. Oh, yeah. I've been saving that story for a, a slow day, but, you know, we never have a slow day. I know. So so he really does want he, – he's, he's trying to play crazier than, for example, Kim Jong-un. Yes. He's trying – Trying to out-crazy the crazy. Yeah. So, like, that's when he makes these these statements like, this is the calm before the storm. That's That allows supposedly the negotiators for President Trump to go in there and say, I don't know what the guy's going to do. So the, what, guy's, the guy's crazy. In that article, they, they look at, at what Secretary of uh, Agriculture is sitting in the room. And they're they're trying to have some conversation about some trade deal or something. Yeah. He goes, you've got 30 days, and I, and if you don't get a concession, then I'm pulling you out. He goes, okay. Well, then I'll tell the Koreans they've got 30 days. He goes, no, 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 Trump interjects. That's not how you negotiate. You don't tell them they've got 30 days. You tell them this guy's so crazy he could pull out at any minute, meaning the president, right? He goes, that's what you tell them. Any minute, Trump continued. And by the way, I might. You guys – all you need to know is that I might. You don't I tell do them it. 30 days. If they take 30 days, they'll stretch it all the way out and oh, take every single yeah. day. Just tell them I'm crazy and I'll back at her See, any that's moment. that's a good point. It's a good point. But what they're playing is good cop, crazy cop, which is the lesser known uh, version of good cop, bad cop. But it's crazy cop that could go crazy on you. He's the guy that could tase you, could nightstick you and this was at a, any time. This agricultural deal was with our allies, South Korea. Oh. Right. He wasn't telling North Korea. He was, they were talking to South Korea here. He goes, don't tell them. Don't tell them 30 days. Tell them at any moment. So, so maybe this, this helps deal. us understand what the president is doing. Some of his statements are really to just be erratic so that his people can better leverage the deals with our allies. 
Right. It would think you'd think you'd do this with our enemies. Yeah. I guess he does them there too. But it's know. really also our allies. Yes. So he could do this with Germany. With... He's, keep, he's keeping everyone off balance mm-hmm. so that he has the advantage. Except what's happening is no one knows what's going on. Is it working? No. Yeah. There's just confusion, which is usually bad. I might start using this technique, though. Really? Yeah. Just start saying random things? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. I've kind of started it. <laughs> but I don't want to, I didn't want anyone to know. It's kind of a, a slow roll You guys out. don't seem to pay attention to me the way you do President Trump. Well, there's a different level of... Uh, Business savvy going on, apparently. Hmm. For me or for him? <laughs> Either way you want to look at it. Yeah. Well, just so no, if I if I go off and say something crazy, it's probably I'm just trying to play good cop, crazy cop. Hmm. But I would need one of you to step up and be a good cop, and I don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe huh. we'll just go by by feel. We'll see. Well, this yeah. is getting really off the rails, just, and we'll shut yeah. it down. Let's just work. Let's just feel our way through this. It's a good idea. Hey, uh, up next, we're going to be talking about how your eating habits could be hurting your brain. Not just your waistline, Jeff. Jeff's been working on his eating habits. He finally got his nachos. And I won my third game. a boy. My fourth one's is, uh, it's ending tomorrow. Are you ready? I'm there. Close. Okay, when you've won this one, can we make it a point that we never bring up your waistline again? I, you're the one that always brings it up. Well, you're the guy with his shirt off all the time. Good point. Okay. Straight ahead, the wrong eating habits can hurt your brain, according to our next guest. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be back. You know, obesity has its obvious cons, right? Uh, it, the classic breathing hard when you try to walk upstairs, sleep apnea, cardiovascular disease, and even type 2 diabetes. But there are some consequences that we may not know are associated with obesity, and they include our brain. There's a lot of issues that could take place or happen to our brain, and um, we, we wanted to talk to a True Blue expert about it. Um, our guest today is Terry L. Davidson. He's the founding director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and a professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. Uh, Dr. Terry Davidson, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. What an interesting um, article that you wrote uh, about the wrong eating habits can hurt your brain. Talk to us a little bit about what what's going on um, in our brains when when we are when we're suffering with obesity. Well, um, uh, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that the same kinds of problems as you mentioned in the intro, the diabetes, the heart problems. Uh, we're not protected from those um, kinds of things by uh, the effects of those things uh, based on diet. And it's the same issue with the brain. The brain was thought was protected by uh, various uh, physiological, um, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, physiological uh, mechanisms. But uh, it looks like the diets themselves can kind of defeat those mechanisms. And in particular, areas of the brain that seem to be affected are areas that are in controlling uh, memory and also the ability to inhibit behaviors. And uh, the problem is, of course, is that one of the things you want to do when you're dieting and, and trying to uh, keep weight off uh, is to inhibit feeding behaviors. And it looks like this area of the brain is altered in its function 
by the very diets that are causing obesity. Holy cow. So the very diets we're choosing to use um, actually make it more likely to not be able to uh, to do a diet. That's what, that's what a lot of the research is showing, and it's uh, research from our lab and, and elsewhere. And I guess it should be clear, um, these are diets, they're called the Western diet. And the reason they're called the Western diet is because they're so popular in the United States and other Western and Westernized uh, societies. And there's lots of saturated fats and lots of sugars. And um, those things uh, especially seem to have, um, I should say, harmful effects on the brain. Unbelievable. So uh, high saturated fat, high uh, sugar levels would then make it uh, so parts of our brain are less able to actually um, monitor and, and manage our own, our own eating habit? So, so I actually think it's more like the parts of the brain that help monitor those habits, they become less functional. Hmm. They're not working as well. And so uh, it's, it's uh, the kind of thing that allows you to... Uh, you know, maybe not think about food. Maybe you have other kinds of things that you need to do. So we have to, you know, we don't have food in our minds all the time. Well, uh, if you have this uh, uh, problem in this area, you may think about food more when you see someone else eating or you see an advertisement of food, that kind of thing. And typically when you're thinking about food, that's when you tend to, to eat it. Unbelievable. It's the vicious cycle, huh? So we have... Uh, that's, that's what we call it. Is that's that what right. you call yeah. it? Talk about it. Yeah. So we, we have obesity, but then with obesity, we have cognitive decline. Um, and it almost seems like it just kind of folds in on itself. Well, yeah. When we first began this research, we were basically just interested in the areas of the brain that were involved in learning and memory. And uh, what we found out pretty quickly was that when we did manipulations of this area that we we're studying... Uh, change, uh, and this was animal research, changed the animals' eating behavior. And they tended to uh, eat more frequent meals. They tended to gain weight. And uh, this uh, was quite interesting to us. So uh, basically what happened was is that we tried then to figure out why this was the case. And um, it's one thing to produce, an, say, experimentally manipulate the brain, but most people, of course, don't have those kinds of manipulations, and yet they, they gain weight. And so we tried to look into the environment to see what was causing the effect, and that's where we ran into the Western diet. And we saw that the Western diet was changing this area of the brain that's involved in learning and memory. And it turns out this particular area of the brain is also very much involved in cognitive dementias, particularly late-life cognitive dementias. Oh, wow. And so these are like Alzheimer's disease and so on. And so the vicious cycle basically is uh, you, eat this, you eat this diet, it's... Um, disrupts the protections that uh, the areas of the brain that are involved in learning and memory have. And these are often what's called the blood-brain barrier that protects you from the inside out. And then uh, once you disrupt those protections, uh, basically what happens is you start eating more in response to food cues. And quite frankly, the, the, we have so many food cues in the environment that are signals for the Western diets, like uh, golden arches, or I probably shouldn't name things, mm, but yeah. uh, lots of things like that. And um, so what happens then is you then eat more of that food, you produce more damage to that area, which means you can't inhibit the response to those cues. And uh, ultimately what we think, and there's some speculation here, there's, there's mostly correlational data now, but uh, in terms of uh, what we think may happen is over the course of, of this uh, lifespan, the damage to this memory area is enough where the memory function gets impaired as well. Like, is it permanently impaired, Terry, or is this something that is reversible? 
Well, I, th- I think it depends upon how long you've been eating the diet and what other <laughs> kinds of factors there are in your life. Yeah. So there are many there are many factors that can impact your cognitive function. Um, there's certainly if you if you use your brain a lot, that helps, and if you exercise, that helps as well. So it really depends upon uh, how long you've had the exposure, what other kinds of things you're doing. <laughs> and I don't want anybody to take a, you know to think, well, you know, I'm I've had it, you know, I've been eating this stuff forever. Um, the fact is, is that um, there are other things that we don't know that are protective as well. So not everyone who eats this diet will uh, uh, have brain problems. As a matter of fact, not everyone who eats the diet gains weight. I'm sure a lot of us know people who can eat this diet, and we might look at them with wonder because they don't gain weight. And that's, of course, a very interesting question that we're trying to figure out as well. How is it that they're protected from it? Well, and it, but it also might give some insight into others that – that feel like they they just they that their inhibition control is so off or why is it that they're so incapable of of stopping some triggers and it might simply be the diet itself yeah well i think that uh, you know i don't want to give the impression that you can't do anything about it yeah right? so i mean i think that that there's plenty of things you can do that that are healthy um it's very hard to tell somebody to stop eating the diet right and, and uh, as you may know, if you go all the way back to Hippocrates, Hippocrates told people that the surest way to a long and healthy life is to eat the right foods and exercise. Right. And doctors have been telling us that for ages. And, then, uh, and the problem is, is that we can't seem to follow that advice. And so what our work is doing is saying, well, maybe this is part of the mechanism that makes it so hard to follow this, this advice. We're, we're changing the brain in ways that, that prevents us from uh, you know, controlling our intake the way we should. It's interesting. In your study, you did this with animals, and mm-hmm. even the animals just kept going back. They, they kept taking more and more food. They just didn't know not to keep eating, I guess. Uh, well, the, the, what we think is, is that... Um, well, you probably know the feeling of being full, of, and sometimes we call that being sated or satiated yeah. with yeah. food. And that's a kind of internal signal that tells you you've had enough in most people's bodies. I think uh, actually, you know, if we wanted to talk about the way the system was designed kind of informally, uh, the idea was to create energy balance. That is, the amount of food you take in should match your needs. And what we're having, I think, is what we're seeing here is that as part of the problem with this diet, those satiety cues are not working as well. Hmm. And so you might even feel uh, sated, but you still can't inhibit the response. Unbelievable. That's, boy, great insight. And uh, it sounds like a major, major innovation. Uh, Again, we're speaking with Dr. Terry Davidson, and he's walking us through some of his research on obesity and brain power. He is the director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. And we will uh, continue to learn more about the impact your eating habits have on your brain power up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Terry Davidson. He is a uh, director of Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. He's walking us through some research he's been doing on obesity and brain power and how the Western diet, 
which, uh, you know, most noted, I guess, for saturated fats and sugars, a high uh, saturated fat, sugary diet uh, impacts um, your brain's ability to, to um, I guess, manage its triggers, to turn off the triggers. Um, and Terry, make sure I'm getting that right. It, it actually, it, it's part, part of the brain that's impacted is the hippocampus. That's correct. Yeah, that's the area of the brain that for many years was a focus of memory. And I think I mentioned to you that I started out looking at that area of the brain because of my interest in memory. And then probably within the last 10 years, people have been recognizing that it has other functions as well. And if you disrupt the hippocampus, one of the functions you can see that's changing is the ability to control your intake. Because um, because it would part of the hippocampus would signal hunger or satiation, and apparently this diet uh, impacts its ability to to make those signals clear. So I think I, I think it might change that just a little bit and say that what it probably does is interpret those signals. Okay. So you're going to get signals from the body itself, right? Uh, stomach uh, contractions and things like. Uh, uh, different levels of nutrients in your bloodstream, and other areas of the brain can detect these things. And I think what the hippocampus kind of does is interpret them. Okay, what now when I get this signal, what should I do about it? And um, so what, basically what might happen is, is if you get a signal that says, um, I've had uh, enough food, um, the hippocampus misinterprets it hmm. and uh, doesn't interpret it as a signal to stop. Unbelievable. I mean, really, I, I'm amazed by this because I mean, it makes sense, right? And we're we're getting to we're getting to some deeper level of what's going on after years and years and years of the Western diet. Give us maybe just a an example of um, what. I mean, I guess maybe you don't know the gradations of the diet. Are there certain things in the diet itself, or it, that that are really worse off for our brain than other things? Well. You know, there are certain things. <clears throat> it is the case that um, lots of sugars are unhealthy for people for lots of reasons, and probably um, the, the thing that's most harmful would be diabetes. Um, and it, so sugar is, is bad. Um, one of the reasons, though, that we haven't spent a lot of time trying to separate out, uh, so how much sugar do you need or how much, uh, say, of various vitamins or other kinds of nutrients uh, uh, involved in this diet is because... Um, well, some studies, for example, would do just sugar, and this is very unhealthy for an animal. Uh, the fact is, what we're trying to uh, match or uh, what we're trying to produce is a diet that's similar with respect to its various um, levels of macronutrients, protein, fat, carbohydrates, that's similar to what people eat. So we haven't focused as much on, okay, so if we take this nutrient out or, or add this nutrient in, what happens? And part of the reason is because people aren't doing that. They're, they're tending to eat this kind of high combination of fat and, and sugar. And so um, that's, I'm, I'm sure that's an important research question in certain places and may be helpful. But our own work uh, and most work so far hasn't focused hmm. on that aspect of it. When you, with your animal uh, studies, when you, when you stopped giving them the fatty diet, if you did, did you see a change in their ability of their hippocampus to, to work better? So that's a that that's an interesting question, and um, a lot of so a lot of the studies that we do uh, we um, well I don't know when to, how long we have to go. So I know we've gone a rat's life ninety days is is uh, probably uh, we're looking at ten years uh, mm. perhaps in a, in a human life, and so ninety days can be a fairly long period of time. And we've gone as far as ninety days, 
and not seeing changes in the behavior of the animal that indicates that hippocampus is working properly. Hmm. And we've seen impairments still in areas of, I should say, when I say impairments, change in, in its functioning, uh, changes in the way that the that, 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 that hippocampus is working. We see signs of what are called pathophysiology, like inflammation and, and uh, damage to what's called the blood-brain barrier that protects uh, the brain from um, things that are circulating in the bloodstream. And so we see damages like that, which can last, uh, again, up to 90 days. Yeah. Um, I know one study that um, what they did is, and this was a study with mice, and what they did was they measured all kinds of parameters, like uh, were the animals hyperglycemic, they had too much blood sugar, and, and, and all kinds of regular, like physiological parameters that indicate health. And then they also measured... Uh, performance on tasks that required the learning and memory function of the hippocampus. In this study, what they found was is that when they put the animal on a regular diet, got them off the, the animal gain, lost weight, uh, the animal uh, got normalized in terms of all these physiological parameters hmm. I mentioned, but they did not recover in the cognitive task. Oh, really? So it's, yeah. it sticks. So that was, that's a little frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Do you, I mean, you did bring up the fact that this does, I mean, this may have even longer term ramifications like what you're talking about there. Do you think this has other ties to other dementia related issues, uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia? Well, um, so the human data, and again, you know, we don't, we don't expose people to a high fat diet and see what happens to them after 30 years. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all you'd have to do is really data. go just pick a few of us up. If you, if you want my data, <laughs> come get me. No, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad this is a radio show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, what I, I, I think uh, there are data out there that indicate that if you're obese or overweight at midlife, so this is in middle age, yeah. that this predicts um, cognitive dementia or cognitive dysfunction at late, later in life. Um, and it's a higher, much people have a, who are obese in midlife have a higher incidence of those diseases late life than people who aren't obese in midlife even though they start gaining weight late in life. So it seems like the midlife is maybe the critical feature to, to uh, producing some kinds of dementias. Hmm. Wow. But you're, you're right on the cutting edge of this, it seems like. Well, we're, uh, yeah, uh, that's where you want to be if you're doing research. But I, I, I have to tell you, I've been studying in this field for 30 years, so it's... Uh, um, it's finally paying yeah, it's off. Not a brand new thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're finally. Yeah, you've hit the you've hit the vein now. Um, well, right. are there? I guess the I guess the best uh, advice. What is the best advice you've got for us? Um, manage our diet. I'm assuming. Any other impacts that you see about our our diet and how it impacts the brain? So uh, one thing I should add, and quite often we think about this as being um, an adult problem, um, but there's. Uh, quite a bit of data indicating that kids, perhaps as young as seven to nine years old, um, are showing deficits in their ability to to solve problems that depend on the hippocampus if they're overweight or if they've had a diet that's high in saturated fats and sugars. Hmm. And so it's a a process that um, that, uh, probably begins early in life and again uh, extends uh, later. So I think the thing, you know, I wish I had a panacea to say, well, this is what you should do. I think still the best advice is um, has to do with virtue lies between two extremes. Uh, if you're gonna, I would certainly want to recommend to people don't eat anything that has saturated fat because that would take a, 
a huge amount of stuff out of their diet, and some of it's healthy for them. I wouldn't say don't eat anything that has sugar because clearly we enjoy sugar, and, and that makes it's one of the things that helps uh, help us get or get by sometimes. Uh, the thing I guess I would say uh, shouldn't be surprising is just use moderation in what you do, and um, and try to avoid um, excesses. You know, and and I think that's probably what Hippocrates would have said. But um, I think that's where we are now, and uh, until we can find, uh, and that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to find ways to break this vicious cycle in our lab and other labs right now, ways to prevent this diet from starting that cycle. But until that, I think moderation is the best thing I can say. Great advice. Dr. Terry Davidson, thank you for being with us. Again, the founding director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and a professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. Great advice. Moderation in all things, really. And uh, until they can figure out how to break the cycle, moderation, moderation. We'll continue the journey, folks, uh, helping us all live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Ah, little Oliver for you. That's one of my favorite movies growing up. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Really? What was it about Oliver that... I just thought it was really cool, this group of ragamuffins going around conning people, and they hung out and had a good time. (laughs) You always did love a good uh, ragamuffin con movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's It really is. uh, It's it's And they've got great music. It was the best picture of the year. Was it really now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it is a forgotten genre of movie, the ragamuffin. Yeah. Well, what was, I mean, we haven't had a ragamuffin movie lately, have we? No. I think I just like it because muffin is in the word. We've also had, mm. we, but we have had a lot of muffin top um, movies recently. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Um, let's get to some more news headlines with Terry. What's going on, Terry? Uh, give us the news or the food update. Yeah, this is more of a food-related update, and it's kind of breaking news. As I said in the break, um, there, there's dental problems in, in England. What? I know there's this stereotype of bad teeth. Yeah, people, people would and say there is no dental I've, I've, I've heard, anything. I've heard it. people surmise that the reason for that is they have a, a genetic population that's isolated to an island and it just keeps yeah, making you... bad teeth. But <laughs> but I'm not sure if that's the problem. The problem here is popcorn. Here or there? In, Brit- in Britain. Oh, really? Popcorn? In London, they're having a major problem with popcorn. Oh, boy, talk about that. There's an, ex- that doesn't make there's an explosion of posh Popcorn, as they're calling it. Okay. So Posh spice popcorn? We call it gourmet. Okay. Gourmet popcorn. Specialty popcorns, caramel, yeah. flavors, different things. Oh, and it's and, giving, and everybody's getting cavities. Now. Yeah, so like hard-boiled sweets, fudge, caramel, they're, they're, they're you know, you, you get your caramel popcorn, whatever. This yeah. is, the Brits are swapping fatty crisps, or chips, chips. Uh, for uh, <laughs> upmarket popcorn, which is perceived as more virtuous option for snacking. Hmm. Well, not if it's covered in... Caramel. Well, you know, we all justify our way. It's okay, fine. Yeah, sure. uh, by munching on popcorn, consumers are risking broken and cracked teeth thanks to rogue kernels lurking at the bottom of the yeah. packs. Yeah, the rogue kernel. Gets In you addition, every time. small pieces commonly get trapped between teeth, which are nearly impossible to dislodge by simply brushing or flossing. <laughs> Worse still, professionals say the wafer thin but remarkably robust husks, which have a habit of getting below the gum line and causing severe inflammation and, in some cases, abscesses. Come on. Robust 
robust husk. Is this is this a problem? <clears throat> Apparently, they're saying uh, one the Brits den- are very delicate. One dentist they talked to here. My 25 years as a dentist, popcorn is easily among the top five reasons for broken teeth. Five yeah. years ago, I would perhaps see one case in 20 caused by popcorn. But the last two or three years, that has risen to one in ten. The number is only going up. People, and they say it's because they're absent-mindedly eating the yes. popcorn. Think about when you're watching yes. a movie; you're just tossing the just stuff tossing in, tossing it back. You're not worried about what you well, what's in that handful of popcorn, and then you get that rogue kernel. Focus, Brits. I don't Focus. know a good buttered popcorn bucket of buttered popcorn. If that's my demise, then so be it. But it's, it's it wouldn't a good be your way demise. To... It would just be my teeth's demise. Yeah. It's a great way to go, though. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's delightful. You know, part of the joy that comes from eating that popcorn during the movie and not being able to dislodge it is the challenge of trying oh, to dislodge it with I your love tongue. It. it gives you something yeah. to do. As you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, that's a great ah, plot point. This movie's um, no good, but I'm having a good time in my mouth. <laughs> a, new way, the, a new wave of popcorn producers are not oblivious to the dental problems related to popcorn consumption. Popular brand Tyrells, as, as you know, it's a popular yeah, brand. Yeah, popular brand. That, uh, that while the, its packs did carry a warning for unpopped kernels, it uses a number of uh, quality processes, including sifting, as well as other bespoke technology mm. to remove as many kernels as possible. Wow. I'm not sure what bespoke technology means. I think they're bigger problems, their language. Also at the uh, Arizona State Fair, yeah, they have what's called the Cotton Candy Burrito or the Candy Urito. Oh, ooh, I once had a candy so it's, burrito. It's two two things of two fluffs of cotton candy mushed down into like a tortilla. Yeah. And yeah. then they put birthday cake ice cream, two big scoops, and then they roll it up and cut it in half, and you have a burrito. Oh. What do you think? There's the picture. Yuck. I think that, I just gained a pound listening to the my description. My heart started racing. The cotton candy burrito. Candy burrito. And then you can get the um, EKG burrito. Which is where they just hook you up to an EKG. That's if you want a supersize, yeah. yeah. And then they can do a stentorito. So basically ice cream <laughs> wrapped in cotton candy. Yuck. <sighs> Come on, people. And it's birthday cake ice cream. I'd rather break my teeth on some popcorn kernels. Posh popcorn. Pop. Posh. Okay, guys, uh, doing what we can to help you live longer by helping you know what to avoid. Certain foods will kill you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. missed your chance to tune into your favorite shows with the byu radio app you don't have to worry get hundreds of episodes of highway 89 top of mind the matt townsend show and all the rest right at your fingertips it's free to download and available on ios android and amazon mobile devices get the byu radio app today talk about good This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, friends. Man, you're at it again. Congratulations. Dr. Matt here, along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is gathered to, to help give you a leg up in life. We're going to make your life a happier place. Really? Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, so take that. People need a little a little leg up. Some uh some people are still struggling with the BYU loss. You'll you'll need to move on from that. Some 
you know, some are still struggling from J.J. Watt, uh, his injury last night. ACL tear, ACL he's out for tear. the rest of the season. And the and their, their inside linebacker injured as well. Cool name, Merciless. Oh, what a great name for you football. Know, I was impressed with the employees at uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, though. They were Why? very civil, you know, because there are uh, clearly some Boise State fans there, especially in the section that I was sitting in. Yeah. And, you know, they were making a lot of noise, but... Some of the employees were coming by with boxes of ice cream, and they were only giving away ice cream to Boise State fans. Really? Yeah. We had That's a couple of them nice. because we were sitting with a, a Boise State fan. Are they drugged? And you were wearing those Boise shirts. <laughs> are they trying? They, they have some sort of like uh, suppressant of some kind in the ice cream. And they're just trying to calm them down. No, like, what here, it here is. have some of this. It'll make you feel better. Well, because a lot of football stadiums would serve uh, alcoholic beverages. Well, yeah. So instead, mm. in lieu of alcohol, sugar, you might get. We'll give you. We'll show you how the Mormons do it. Well, so sugar. at halftime, I actually put <laughs> on some sugar. My Boise State shirt because I was like, oh, this yeah. is going south real quick. I'm yeah. going to change costumes. Get, get on the right side of that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. By the way, uh, last night or yesterday? No, it would be Saturday. Mm. Florida Gators. Paid homage to one of their own. Oh, yeah, Tom yeah. Petty, did you hear this? I saw it, yeah. What a cool story this is. 90,000 fans, Gator fans, singing tribute to Tom Petty as they're singing the Won't Back Down. I won't, we won't back down. BYU won't back down from losing. Yeah, you can't. You're, you, keep, you keep piling on BYU. Why not? Listen to the spirit of the Florida Gators. How cool is that? Also true, there's no easy way out for BYU. This is what the BYU fans need to be seeing. We won't back down. Sure, it's been a hard year. Sure, we've lost four of our quarterbacks. I don't know the number. I quit counting. Really? It's too depressing. Okay. To each his own. Yeah. Sometimes people like to count. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Tom Petty, uh, legendary rocker, receiving a, a, a really, uh, I think, a, a much-earned, um, well-earned tribute from 90,000 fans. I didn't hear a lot of singing going on at, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. No. They usually sing after they score. Yeah. So, so they, they did one. They, they got, they one got the one in the first quarter. They, yeah. they did play another Tom Petty song, though, which I thought was very fitting. What? Free falling. Oh wow. You did it again. They but they really did play it. <laughs> did I'm they not really? just making a joke. Oh, they, they really did play it. Is that the one that they they played for that that's what they played at the Cougar Stadium is free falling. Mm-hmm. They could have played won't back down. Right. But they played free falling. Yeah. Right. You got that right. Huh. Wow. Well, sorry I missed that. Um got a great uh, show today. We're going to be talking about how chari- you you might be able to help people be willing to give up some of their stuff, hmm. some of their their antiques, some of their cherished items. Instead of hoarding things, maybe one way to deal with that is take pictures. The Maybe. research is showing if you take pictures of things that are that are memorable to you, you're more able to get rid of them. Instead of physically having the object. You don't need to keep that teddy bear from high school. You know, you're 60. Will this you need work, to let it go. Will this work on Antiques Roadshow? Can I just take a picture of the antique and then take it in and see how much it's worth? No. You have to actually take the antique. Come on. Because they, they have to check the authenticity. Well, the picture will be real. Yeah. But they need to check the authenticity. Okay. So, um, 
So we'll be getting into that today as well. Plus, uh, again, some, I guess, fairly good news for those that are going through Nate. Tropical Storm Nate. Came Tropical in, Depression Nate. Came in as a uh, hurricane, yeah. quickly downgraded to a tropical storm, and then it fell into a tropical depression. It did. Which is, that's actually really good news because it it does it still means that, that Mississippi, certain places are having problems, but in the end, not as bad as it could have been. That's This is true. That's what the weather service is saying. There's a video that I saw, was it ABC News had it on their Twitter feed of a uh, parking garage mm. and the 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 tide of the inside the garage of the waves just crashing into Holy everything cow. and there's a pickup truck and cars are submerged and it's just it was probably a parking garage near the shore and it and you know your run. wife would be like can you go get the car and bring it around <laughs> yeah let me no, go man you go get the car let me go get that i'll get the scuba gear and we'll get the car and i don't know what's lower i think after a tropical depression it's then has to be downgraded to like a tropical funk really mm. i think that's the next level wow. yeah the tropical funk is the lesser known of the tropical hmm. storms yeah so how do you get a storm out of a funk or do you want to? Well, some would say just get out and get some sun. Okay. Get out over the water. That usually helps a storm. Yeah, that helps build, build you up back some up. speed. Yeah. yeah. How just do you get, get a out. funk out of a carpet? Ooh. I don't even want to know about that. Hmm. Okay. Some people say like a nice lemon juice will help to lift yeah. that stain. I don't know. I'm going to bet no matter what it is, it'll involve ammonia. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just gross. Try some ammonia. That's what Grandma always said. Uh, We'll get to all that, plus some empty news straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? President Donald Trump said on Saturday night that he is open to a temporary deal on health care reform that would buy the GOP more time to fully repeal and replace Obamacare. If we could do a one-year deal or a two-year deal as a temporary measure, you'll have uh, block guaranteeing ultimately to the states, which is what the Republicans want, he said, referring to the Graham-Cassidy proposal that failed to garner enough support last month. Senators Lamar Alexander of Tennessee and Patty Murray, a Democrat from uh, Washington, are negotiating a bipartisan market stabilization package aimed at preventing health care premiums from skyrocketing next year. It is unclear if the president would get behind such a measure as he has shown in the past that he would be willing to cut off Obamacare subsidies rather than, than extend them on a long-term basis, which is why the pre, uh, Alexander and Murray, are that's what they're seeking. Trump's uh, remarks come after a discussion with Senator uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer about health care. So Don and Chuck mm. got on the phone, talked about health care. Now Trump's all about health care. Wow. That's why the Republicans don't want him talking to Chuck anymore. Yeah. Don... Don and Chuck, I didn't realize they were this tight, but apparently they're way tight. Apparently they talk all the time. I read a thing, Rand Paul, who has been basically against everything that Trump was for. Apparently they talk all the time. Really? Trump calls him on the phone and just rattles on about his golf scores and everything else. And Rand Paul just sits there. His aides say he just listens on the phone. Doesn't He never asks for anything. Whereas all the other senators and members of the House, they always ask President Trump for things. Rand Paul just listens. Just so, really, Rand Paul is is just his listening. And so, buddy. Rand Paul ends up golfing multiple times with the president, and the president really likes Rand Paul, even though he's never supported him on anything and, and hmm. been an obstruction to everything Trump's wanted to do. He likes him. Wow, that's good news. And they go golfing, and Rand Paul just goes off on his libertarian ideas, and Trump goes, "Man, this guy's crazy," you know, and that's how it, how it goes. Yeah. That was <laughs> then, a, that was a story I read over then the weekend. A little like bro hug at the end. And I they guess walk away. I guess they don't agree, but. And then President Trump's like, I'll call you tomorrow. I'll call you. And he goes, I'll say no. Okay, cool. 
<laughs> That's great. In other news, Las Vegas shooter may have had other people in his suite before checking into the Mandalay Bay Resort on September 28th and killing 58 people and taking his own life. That's Authorities weird. are trying to understand why he had a phone charger in his room that did not match any of the phones that he owned and are additionally puzzled by a period when the garage records show that the shooter's car was away from the hotel, but one of his keys were used to access his room. Hmm. There are several possible explanations for these anomalies, investigators said, but they want to get to the bottom of it, NBC News reports. Yeah, got to figure that out. So you have a charger that's not his. No one ever leaves a charger in a hotel room. You know, maybe it's one of the the maintenance or maids that come in. But it was one of his keys was used to open the door. It wasn't a maintenance key. That's kind of weird. How does that work? So... Hmm. They're still investigating. Wildfires in California's Napa and Sonoma counties raged overnight, forcing evacuations from hospital, homes, and hotels as they spread across roads and touched several structures. There was a PGA Tour event in that area. Oh, boy. People stayed over Sunday night. Plus all the vineyards. Now you're going to have that smoky wine I heard one report like, there's all these vineyards and no one's picked their grapes yet. That's a beautiful place. What do you get when you have cooked grapes? Mm, is, is, that, jam, is that I a thing? You make jam. jam out of that? I mean, how do you. To, if they're boiling it. Multiple people were treated for injuries. Sonoma County, Santa Rosa city manager declared uh, the fires um, a local emergency. The city also ordered evacuations in several Santa Rosa neighborhoods. Napa County evacuations were underway as firefighters battled a 200 acre wildfire. Ooh. That's not good. No, we've kind of forgotten about the wildfires because of hurricanes. Yeah. And now we're back to, you know. I think we need to start naming our wildfires. Really? Don't you think? Just the name, I think, helps. There's another uh, hurricane, by the way. There's another system that's what? developing out in the Atlantic. Oh, So boy. we just had, what was that? That was Nate. Nate. So now we go, oh, so I believe it's Olivia is the next system. Othello. Once it Once it becomes a hurricane, they name it. It's oh, probably yeah. like 17 now or whatever. They yeah, are. yeah, yeah. But uh, Olivia, I believe, is the next. And she's, is she a full-blown not hurricane yet. right now? Not yet. Oh, not, not yet. Olivia. We were going to use that potentially. Olivia Newton-John? No, for a, a girl name. Oh. Oh, so you're not done? Don't, we don't want, I don't want to know. Yeah, let's move on. Um, and finally, back to our, our, our fearless leader. After expressing positive surprise over a Friday Washington Post story yeah. on his support of small-dollar campaign donors, President Trump complained on Twitter Saturday morning that late-night comedians like Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert make jokes at his expense. Well, oh yeah. 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 So totally. <laughs> Trump was apparently thinking of an FCC rule that broadcasts oh. not cable television and radio stations must give equal appearance time to competing qualified candidates for public office during an election. Yeah, not not an election. He right wants now. qualified time now. Well, he keeps thinking he's re- he's running right now. He wants equal time. Yeah. As a writer for Fallon's Tonight Show quickly noted, the equal time rule does not apply to a sitting president who is not campaigning. It also does not apply to commentary by a third party like a late night host monologue, but rather is limited to personal unpaid appearances by candidates. The president's tweets were likely inspired as they often are. Mm-hmm. by Fox & Friends segment that aired about an hour before the post appeared, this one on late-night comics taking a hard turn left when it comes to the president. Yeah. So I think Jimmy Fallon is <sighs> just making up for lost time because he was yep. highly criticized for being a little too amiable with well, President he, Trump. He mussed up his hair. Right. Yeah. People didn't like him mussing his hair up. So I think he's just trying to please all the people that were really mad at him. Apparently you make someone relatable when you muss up their hair. I don't even like mussing hair. Right. I think mm. the big thing was he confirmed it in some shape as hair. 
that was the big thing. Is that real? That, that's why he grabbed his hair and messed it yeah. up. Dem- but, you know, we've we've already talked about how— Everybody wanted to know. He has some sort of rug company from Europe that uh, supplies his— No, he doesn't. He grows his own hair. <laughs> He doesn't hire a rug company. Don't you remember that? that yeah, that, I do. That, that, that what was it, the investigative report yeah. where they're trying to figure out who this guy is that has a floor of Trump Tower? Isn't that part of his dossier? No, that that would be a different whole situation there with the dossier. By yeah. the way, they're they're looking into that. They're yeah. stumped. They Mueller really... is bringing in info from the dossier that was seen to be really crazy, anti-Trump, right. radical craziness. Yeah. But, you know, maybe maybe that stopped. You know, who knows? All the information we get out of Mueller is like a, a month old. Yeah. And where does it come from? Who's leaking all this information from that? It's well, supposed to be like a contained secret process until they no, no, go no, public no. with well, some Comey sort of subpoenas. proved that they'll work the press to get stuff to happen. So, so do you think Mueller's leaking? Yeah, they got to leak because they've got to show everybody that Manafort's in. They got to get pressure on Manafort that you are going to prison if you don't huh. turn. Didn't they do that by kicking the door in when he was in bed? No, they remember they did <laughs> With it. With a they, search warrant? But they did it very daintily. Didn't they actually actually just, They picked the lock. They picked the lock. Yeah. They didn't kick it in. You're right. Kicking it in would have been a lot of – that would have been more violent. Yeah. This was just – they just gently opened the Is door a, a and then kinder, locked in. a kinder, gentler then, form of law uh-huh. enforcement? Yeah. Interesting. You ever try to pick a lock – no. Would you – I mean there's always this dream I've that tried. you have like, oh, if only that could work where I pull out my credit card yeah. and get into a No, no. A you like door. tweezers and then like a metal piece I have a, of metal I have a friend that it. can do it. He's a, he's a locksmith. He can do it. I actually picked a – my brother's chest that had – well, that sounded weird. Yeah. Um, he had this locked <laughs> – he had this locker, let's say. What are you doing on my chest? What are and you doing? He, Good picking at that. <laughs> he locked up his Nintendo 64 oh. when he went on his mission trip. And uh, said, <laughs> and you, don't, don't play with my Nintendo 64. So we would take pictures and send recordings of us uh, playing Goldeneye <laughs> while he was out on his mission. That's rude. <laughs> no I wonder, like it. I like fun. it, but that's rude. No wonder your brother used to beat you up. Yeah. I mean, he is the one more, that beat me up. Yeah, it makes more sense. Because you were playing with his Goldeneye and picking his chest. That sounds – but yeah. Hmm. See, I saw hmm. that game for the first time. When I was on my religiously uh, sponsored vacation trip, and um, man, that blew my mind. I'm like watching this game. Like I shouldn't really be doing this, but I'm just going to sit down here because it's not my house. I can't turn off their TV, right? No, no, you. It's one of the greatest games. It was amazing. And then I came home. It was the first thing I found. I I have to have that game. Wow, it was great. Yeah, when I I went on my nonstop. When I went on my LDS mission trip, I just, I just taught people about. Yeah, it's okay. I understand. You're better gospel, than us. The gospel. But it's mm. okay. It's fine. I mean, I didn't play You were games. one of those I missionaries. Yeah. I didn't play the game. Mm-hmm. It was on in the room I was in. You can't tell. It's rude to look at someone and say, hey, turn off your TV. I went to a place where they didn't have carpet. They didn't have video games. Well. Very few had TVs in their house. So I was just trying to change the world. Hmm. <laughs> Glad you guys had a good time. Anyway. Hey, uh, let's get to the empty news. The MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. <laughs> that darned apple just keeps coming back. So, there's a fighter, a, yeah. a former fighter. Former fighter. Who wants to pick a fight with another fighter. Who? But uh, different sports, different uh, There's a lot of methods money in of fighting. fighting right now. Right. Floyd Mayweather made millions. 
So I guess George Foreman hasn't made enough money with his George Foreman grill. Mm. Uh, so he wants to go the distance with actor Steven Seagal. What? Who is also a fighter, not in the same way that George Foreman is a, a fighter. So Monday, the 68-year-old boxing legend used Twitter to challenge the 65-year-old action movie star to a 10-round fight in Las Vegas. Really? Yes. What, so here's what he put in the tweet. One-on-one, I use boxing, you can use whatever. So Seagal is like a martial arts expert, isn't he? Right. He's like a seventh-degree black belt but is he, or something. He's legit martial arts dude. Mm-hmm. And, and Foreman's saying, I'll take you on. Right. Yeah. So he later clarified it would be hand-to-hand combat only with no weapons allowed. So, so he wouldn't be allowed to kick... It wouldn't be mixed martial arts. It would be boxing. Right, right. So, you know, whatever is probably not the best word choice there. But he suggests that, you know, it could be broadcast on pay-per-view. It could be a big, huge payday for them. Foreman's a smart guy. Who do you think would win between the two of them? I think after watching Mayweather, I'd go with the boxer. Yeah? So I guess I would say George Foreman. Okay. So I put together some other... Celebrity names here. And okay. I want to see who you would like to see this person matched up with. Okay, yeah. Okay? Who would you like to see go head-to-head with Charlie Sheen? Ooh, Charlie Sheen? I would actually love to see Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> because Charlie, <laughs> I think it'd be, Charlie kind of bugs me. You would just want, I just want somebody, somebody that could give him a guaranteed beat down. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, how that about, sounds horrible. But... How about Kellyanne Conway? Uh... <laughs> yeah, who's the... It would probably have to be another woman. Well, who's the NBC host of her new show? Oh. Megan, Megan Kelly. Kelly. So the great. Kellys, the two Megan Kellys. Kelly against Kelly Kelly. Okay. And then if you could throw Kelly Ripa in there. Oh. Like a little She'd come in with a chair. That'd be great. Okay. How about Cookie Monster? Oh, Elmo. Elmo? Yeah. Ooh. Who do you think would win that? Cookie Monster, hands down. I think Elmo's... unless somebody's walked by with some cookies, then that would be a pretty big dis. Yeah, I know, but well, Elmo acts three years old, but Elmo's probably twenty. Hmm. And he's 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 wiry. Okay, he's one more stronger than you think. One more for you. Yeah. Who would you like to see matched up against the BYU Cougars? Hmm. I would say, let's go back to. Um, I would maybe. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the Vienna Boys Choir. <laughs> Do they have a football team? I think, yeah. Anybody that they could beat, let's match them up against them. The, but the young Vienna Boys Choir, like the oh, young, yeah, yeah. young ones. Yeah, that older group, they're uh, ooh, they're pretty aggressive. I don't want to see... I, I, I just want everybody to get healthy. Then I want BYU to start playing again. They had a really good first game. It's they true. beat Portland State. They won. Yeah, well, let's just go back to those days. Is that too much to ask? Ah, depressing. Okay, good news. I guess uh, George Foreman may be fighting Steven Seagal, which, you know, what could be better? Maybe eventually President Trump could get in there and do another World uh, Wrestling Federation move like he did a few years ago. Trump and Putin. Ooh, (laughs) that'd be a great one. No, it wouldn't. Putin would be bad. He's He's pretty bad to the bone. He's, I mean, he's already got his shirt off, so yeah. he's halfway there. And Putin works out. I mean, he's yeah. it, it, that could get ugly. But I don't think they'd ever fight because they're such good friends. Anyway, uh, we'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, we're going to be talking about how cherishing stuff with a photo 
could actually help you let go of it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. You know, sometimes it can be difficult for us to let go of our material possessions, especially if there is sentimental value attached to to them. Nobody wants a house full of cluttered items we haven't used in years. But at the same time, we don't want to get rid of them and don't know how to let go of those memories. Joining us to talk about it is Karen Wintridge. She's a team. She is a uh, one of the team members of consumer psychologists that examined why it's so hard to leave things behind and uh, what we can do maybe to uh, cherish our memories and be able to let a few things go. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Is it, tell, talk about your study and what you've been finding as a way, what, what's, what's one of the key ways, I guess, using our cameras nowadays might be one of the great tools to help us walk away from things. Right, absolutely. What we found uh, was basically that we hold on to a lot of our possessions, our goods, clothes, electronics, anything really, housewares. Um, and it's not so much that we want that product itself, but we often have memories associated with it. And so we actually don't want to let go of it because we want to keep the memory. So when we see it, it reminds us of things. We want to, you know, times, events, people. We want to keep that. And if we can take a photo, it makes us say, oh, it helps us recognize we really only want those memories. We don't want that product itself. That's so true. Nobody wants to go back and and have I, like I, the other day I saw a dryer in a kind of a retro television show back from the eighties, and I saw a dryer that we used to have when I was a kid, and a, a clothes dryer, and I thought, oh, that, hey, that would oh, that's pretty cool. That looks just like the dryer, but I wouldn't want to go back to that dryer. I like today's dryers better. But I do, I would love to show my kids and tell the story. Yes, absolutely. And you don't want a basement full or a storage unit full of things that you're never using or even extra rooms, closets, shoved full of it. Um, So it can be really hard for us to part with it and recognize that it's really just the memories. So this research we're hoping helps people that are kind of struggling with, "Ah, I don't really use it, I don't really need it, but yet I don't want to get rid of it. It helps them overcome that hesitancy. And recognize, oh, it's just the memories. A picture, you know, can do can be is worth a thousand words. It's worth, you know, cueing all of those memories, maybe from childhood, like you're saying, nostalgia. Um, or is, other memories as well that one might have associated with a product. Is the picture enough? Is that all they would need is to take a picture of some of these things? Or do they need to have a picture and a description? Do they need to somehow get the stories out as well? We actually think it's just the picture and Ironically enough, I guess, potentially not even the picture itself, but it's more the, the psychological processing or thinking through of why am I hesitant to get rid of this or part with the good. And so we don't actually even know in all of our research if people really did take pictures of the products, but we just cued them as this being a possibility to take a picture before they got rid of it. Some may have, some may not have. Um, in some of the field studies, we don't know. But we still saw the increased rate of donation of these sentimental goods. And so we believe that just even suggesting that consumers take pictures, whether they do or not, helps them recognize, oh, hey, that's right. I really don't want the product. I just want the memories. Interesting. And, and, so, the- and you did this by by basically posting 
um, to college students, hey, we're going to be taking used items. If you want to donate, you could take a picture. And um, those those that you suggested take a picture, uh, if they're having a hard time letting go of stuff, they ended up donating more than those that you didn't suggest that. Yes, absolutely. We did it twice in the residence halls, and it was either during the end of the fall semester or at the end of the spring when everyone's moving out, or else in the fall about 50% were moving out in the residence halls we looked at. And, yeah, both times some of the, the residence halls had signs sign saying, you know, just we're doing a, a donation drive. No other really information included. Other halls had signs that said, we're doing a donation drive, take a picture of anything sentimental um, that you, you might not want to part with, and then donate it. And we saw between a 15 and 35% increase in the amount of items donated in those halls that had the cue to take a picture first. Hmm. That's amazing. Did, um, did you notice, were there certain things that people are more emotionally attached to than other things? Well, in the, in the residence hall field studies, it tended to be a lot of clothing. And so we can't tell for sure. You know, certainly a pair of jeans could be completely unsentimental, unattached for one consumer. But then for the next person, this could be their absolute favorite pair of jeans. They wore them forever. They have a lot of good memories yeah. of wearing Skinny them. Skinny jeans. They make them look skinny, yeah. Yeah, so we can't really tell by looking at them. But some things we can get a sense of are, you know, we're doing this at Penn State. And so... If there's a lot of Penn State T-shirts, special, you know, we do um, some different events, thon, whiteout. So if these are shirts from those events, we can assume that on average they're going to have more attachment and sentimental value associated with those types of shirts. And so when we tried to do that sort of sorting, we did find that there tended to be a, a larger portion of clothing with some sort of event association, whether that be a Penn State event or even, say, a shirt that has maybe – you know, a beach name on it where they might have gone for vacation mm. or maybe a sporting event, you know, a 5K race T-shirt that we can assume may not be the most memorable, but at least there's probably some memory and association of, oh, I did that. I want to remember that event. Was there a difference between genders? Is one gender more able to just get rid of stuff than others? That's a great question. Um, so we actually, this, one of the field studies we only did with female residence hall. So in that case, we couldn't really tell a difference. The other residence hall was mixed, uh, male and female. But one thing, we also did a field study with a local thrift shop, and we found there that there was a stronger effect among females. Um, although I have to say, the majority of donors themselves are females too. So whether that's just a rate of who's dropping off, um, who's available, you know, to come during the thrift store drop-off hours. But it might be something, at least when we're looking at clothing, that there's a greater attachment for females, so this might work better for females. But if we look at, you know, say, sports memorabilia, I would imagine that there might be a greater effect for males, yeah. potentially. On right. Oh, right. Like that first giving away your first mitt or whatever. Yeah. Your first right. bat. Um, do you I, I guess when we when we talk about this, because part of our identity becomes attached to these things or somehow connected to these things. Um, and because a lot of the studying you're doing is for marketing. This seems like some research that in, in maybe an uglier way um, uh, marketers could use against us. Certainly. Uh, I hope that that is not the case. Uh, but there could be some where, you know, marketers could potentially look at this and try to say, well, we know consumers are attached to this. You know, it's, it's part of their identity. Maybe they're willing to pay a premium or um, not necessarily in, using it in ugly ways, but storage units are making money off of us. I oh, don't yeah. really know 
um, you know, they could encourage us to take pictures, and they may actually lose money then if people are able to clean out their storage units, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know that they're intentionally not doing that. They may not have even thought of that option, but certainly it could be used. But I think I hope it more so helps the consumers recognize why they're holding on to it, and then also simultaneously helps the nonprofits, um, all even some businesses too that are based on getting these secondhand goods. And if we're holding on to valuable things that we're not using and could be of use to someone else, you know, we're hurting ourselves by just having that constant clutter in our lives and not being able to part. But then someone else is also not being able to use it when they could. Oh, it's such a good – it really is like for secondhand stores to be able to market that way with a commercial or whatever ad talking about, just take a picture. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we did in the one field study. We had people come in and we asked them what was kind of a memorable, sentimental item that they were donating and to take a picture. And this was only on the um, outside when they were leaving, but we asked them then how they felt. And they they reported feeling less sense of loss, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I felt we might drop it off, donate it, but we're kind of like, oh, I'm sad to see that go. They actually had less of that kind of feeling of loss after they had a picture. We gave them a little Polaroid kind of instant camera picture of that item. And then surveyed them, and they, they reported feeling less less. So we think this is a great way, yeah, um, you know, email out to your donors or have, like you said, a commercial, um, trying to get some spring cleaning done, clean up your house. Go ahead, take a picture of anything you're hesitant to get rid of, and then bring it in, drop it off for us. We think that could really have a, a substantial impact on the donation rates, and hopefully high-quality items, too, because if it's something we're attached to and we care about, it might be of higher value and higher use to the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like how many times have we, you know, tried to go help grandma or grandpa or whatever clean out their their basement, but they just can't get rid of stuff except if we could make them a picture book that had everything in it <laughs> that they could then even recount the stories and retell the stories. It seems like a pretty rich way of connecting to people, too. Yes, absolutely. It could be. We haven't looked at anything more longitudinally, say, over time about how people use maybe the photos in the storytelling. But one thing that we did, we initially didn't know that the photo would be so simple. And we had asked people, you know, just to preserve the memory of the item in some way to tell us how they do that. So they could have chosen to, say, write the story down um, or taken some other method. And some people did say things, maybe create a video even about it. But a lot of them, the majority, over 60 percent, would just say, I'd take a picture of it. And so then we just started using that as, okay, let's do these campaigns where we just tell people to take a picture. And we saw the effect held then. That's great. What, uh, where do you see the research going from here on out? I think there's still a lot uh, of unknowns about kind of why we hold on to things. So a lot of the research in marketing and consumer psychology is focused on buying, you know, acquiring products and consuming them, but there's a lot less on disposing of them. Right? So what happens after we buy, maybe after we use it some and consume? So I see a lot of different directions for trying to partner up with these uh, secondhand goods marketplaces, nonprofits, and understand what else it is. Because we were really focusing on the sentimental goods. Yeah. But, of course, there are certainly a lot of items we have in our home that we hold on to for non-sentimental reasons. Maybe we think that we could make more money off of them. Maybe we think we'll need to use them in the future. Like, oh, what if something else breaks? Maybe I'll revert back to this old dryer or something. Right. Um, And so trying to look at maybe then the non-sentimental goods and how we can get people to move on and part with those too. Because we're seeing more and more, you know, more consumption, but then also more of the retention, more club issues kind of. And just the psychological effects that can have living in 
and clutter. And I'm not even talking about, you know, hoarders, yeah. but just always constantly there's all this stuff in our life. Um, and really then kind of pairing with just the consumer benefits of, of reducing the clutter, trying to figure out well, how can we best get this into another secondhand market, whether it be even just recycling it, as long as it doesn't end up in the landfill. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, this idea, it almost sometimes seems generational. Those parents that grew up through the um, maybe more of the depression or through tougher times, maybe sitting there thinking, no, I'm going to keep everything. We're keeping every nut and bolt I've ever found in my life. Um, and then getting rid of those, you know, you never know when you're going to need it. Is there is there a point um, in the research, too, that because it seems like there might be certain objects that we, that we have somehow attached to our identity, but there's got to be other objects that we may have around that we don't have fond memories of. Um, it, it would seem like is there any research that you know of that getting rid of certain things actually helps you heal by uh, letting go of certain memories just because you gave it away? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And that is another – there's not a lot of research on that either. There's been a little bit of mention of how because these possessions that we have, the goods we hold on to, are associated with our identity, when you go through a difficult time, a loss of a loved one, um, potentially a divorce, uh, anything where kind of there's some goods that are associated with that part of yourself that maybe no longer has positive memories and you need to kind of either grieve or separate from – um, and there hasn't been much, loss, much work there, but I think it is an interesting area of, of, of research to do in the future because there are those, certainly those things that are tied to us. Maybe seeing it, instead of seeing it having positive memories, we see that and it brings back all these bad memories um, or just sad memories. And we need to kind of remove that from our life, but it might be difficult to do so. Yeah. So if um, if I were – if if I had uh, the opportunity soon to go sit down with a loved one that was trying to clean out their house a bit, what recommendations would you give for for how we could maybe make it a little easier, either taking pictures or having discussions? I think absolutely just trying to sit down and ask them why they want to keep it. Um, you know, what does it mean to them? Why do they want to hold on to it? Because maybe there's a valid reason you know, they really do believe they'll use it again. Um, But if they're really just kind of saying, well, it reminds me of this time, then I think once they kind of give you that that clue, then you can step in and say, you know, those memories are really important, but we don't need the product to remember it. Why don't we take a picture? Or why don't you write down, or I can write down for you, what memories you have of this so they won't be lost. Um, And then I would also say get it out of the home or wherever it is, as quickly after that as, pos- as soon as possible because once you have gotten the memories preserved, you want to get rid of that good so they're not thinking, well, maybe I should hold on to it, right? Yeah. So you want to keep the memories and then separate the good as soon as possible. Yeah, you don't want <laughs> you don't want them to you know rethink it. Yeah, and you're right. not just making an inventory of their clutter because you could take a lot of pictures and if you don't get rid of them, then you've just pretty much inventoried clutter. Right. So take the pictures and pack it up. Move it out. <laughs> but it does seem like a very healthy thing to then even hear the stories and talk about how you used this for years. Why does it mean so much? I mean, you could even count, capture some of those for, you know, grandkids, just some of the memories. It would be powerful. You could even give away – you could give away the clutter or whatever it is to people you love with the story. Yes, absolutely. My grandmother does that. She will pack on notes of what she got from where, from when, why, um, before she passes it on. 
And so I think that is one, certainly one way if you want to keep, if it's part of your identity and you want to pass on the importance as you pass down the good, um, that's certainly one option to keep the memories with it. But if you're not able, if you have no one to give it to or that wants to take it and you need to just part with it without passing it on to a loved one, then I think the photo can be even more important. Absolutely. Well, that's great stuff. We appreciate your insight. Again, Professor Karen Page Winterich is the Frank and Mary Smill Research Fellow and Associate Professor of Marketing at Penn State University. And uh, she's been teaching us some pretty powerful stuff about maybe just take a picture of it. You can cherish it in a photo instead of having it clutter up your house. Or um, And also, by the way, that used item can then go on and have another life in someone else's life and make um, make you know make it affordable for them to live a healthier, happier life. Great insight. We'll take a break. Continue the journey as we uh, as we do on the show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Welcome back, friends. It's uh, time for more empty news here with, uh, of course, Jeff Leon Simpson as our anchor. That's right. And, you know, I think you could agree that uh, our wives do pretty much all the work, right? They do. They do everything. They think more. They do more. They care more. Yeah. <sighs> and we and we complain about it. having to go to work all day. Yeah. but they, And they're at home at work. Just killing day. themselves. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's this contest in Virginia, and uh, you're not going to believe this. It's a wife-carrying championship. What? So uh, these two people that won, Jake and Kirsten Barney from Lexington, Virginia, finished first Saturday on an alpine course made all the more difficult because Jake was carrying his wife on his back. When he trudged through water and jumped over logs. Now he knows how she feels. Exactly. I was just thinking this. I, I, you know, I kind of want to score some brownie points, but our wives carry us every day. All day. (laughs) Every day. With, you know, a number of kids on top of that. Yeah. So uh, the couple placed second last year. The event is based on the Finland legend of... Ronkanin the Ronkanin the robber. How, how, how was that again? Ronkanin the robber. <laughs> so Sounds painful. Ronkanin the robber, whose gang pillaged villages and took the women. Hmm. So it seems like something we should be honoring and remembering. Yeah, you just throw them over your back, I guess, <laughs> in some weird way, and carry them away. Yeah. So these days, yeah, men usually carry women, but they don't have to be married, and the couple can choose who carries whom. The Barneys won five times Kirsten Barney's weight in cash. $630. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you, I we could probably barely carry our wives in this contest, but yeah. in, in a metaphorical sense, they're carrying the entire family. Oh, yeah. They're, your wife not only carries you and the children, she carries your nachos. That's true, which can be quite heavy. That can be <laughs> a very heavy burden. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, that's and cool. speaking of food, there is an unusual odor, actually kind of a pleasant odor, that evacuated the school. Well, why would, why would it evacuate the school if it was pleasant? Well, hear me out here. Okay. So uh, 
it, this is in Baltimore. After five people were taken to the hospital complaining of upset stomachs, fire officials discovered the source of the smell, a pumpkin spice air freshener. Oh, see, that's it. You can't stomach that? I can't stomach pumpkin spice or air fresheners. <laughs> Both of them bother me. So this is uh, Cristo Rey Jesuit High School. Uh, it was evacuated Thursday afternoon after students and teachers detected a strong smell on the third floor. Several people reported difficulty breathing. No oh boy. And uh, the fire department and a hazardous materials team were called. Fire spokesman Roman Clark said two students and three adults were taken to the hospital for stomach ailments. Then firefighters located a pumpkin spice air aerosol plugged into an mm-hmm. outlet in a classroom. Yeah. Classes at the school resumed Friday. Some poor teachers just in there is like, I was just trying to make the room smell nicer. Yeah, Right. You're trying to poison the kid with pumpkin spice? No, actually, somebody in the break room microwaved fish, so they thought they would try to mask it with the <laughs> with pumpkin, some pumpkin spice. spice. Didn't work. They're pumpkin spicing everything nowadays. It's true. Kit Kat, uh, M&M's. Really? Come yeah. on. Come on. Yeah. No, it's not. It doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to be. And we now this proves it. Pumpkin spice isn't a great smell. But isn't there, isn't there an old saying, pumpkin spice and everything nice or something like that? I don't think it's pumpkin spice. Oh. it's an Sugar e- and spice? Oh, it's sugar and spice. Yeah. It's the whole Spice Girls made an entire company around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sugar and spice. Yeah. That's better. Not pumpkin spice. But um, again, what was he covering up? He was masking the smell of little kids that are <laughs> – just, oh, yeah, all the Axe body spray and oh, the yeah. sweat and I told just, you. We can't have an open flame at our house. Cheetos breath and, mm-hmm. yeah. Beautiful children. Speaking and, of open flames and Cheetos, remember those are flammable, so be careful out there. Yeah. Great, though, if you need kindling in the middle of a winter storm. <laughs> well, that's some pretty uh, empty news. Matt Townsend news. <laughs> <laughs> empty it stands for Matt Townsend News. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we appreciate it. Up next, we're going to have Bouse in the house. McKenna Bouse will be with us. Little mind bender. She likes to get our minds uh, breaking in half. That's straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show. It's the house of Bouse. McKenna Bouse is her name. It's the house. And uh, when she comes into the studio, it's the House of Baus, and McKenna comes in as a little mind-bender. She always brings us mind-blowing stories, things you wouldn't think can happen, but they're happening, and there's actually good science behind it. Today, she's going to talk about how there's gold in uh, solid and liquid human waste. Yeah, so what? It's really cool. Um, one thing that you know we're always looking for nowadays is new, clean, affordable, alternative energy sources. Right. We're looking for ways we can replace the things we've already got in order to have a cleaner, healthier world. Yeah. Recycle. Um, exactly. Recycling. And there's some really cool different science things that have been going on that have been showing how we can turn human liquid waste and human solid waste into really pretty viable, you know, alternative energy sources. Okay. Because, like, we've had – we've talked a lot about fatbergs on the show. Yeah, that too. And we always joke that if you just lit a match, 
boom, it would it would probably explode with all the gas, but it could probably burn for years. Oh, for sure. So now you're saying they actually could just do that. Yeah. So one of the things that is really sort of expensive and is really hard to do, takes a lot of effort, is cleaning up our wastewater. Right. It requires a huge amount of work. And what they've discovered is that they can run that wastewater through special fuel grids and create electricity, and they can also gather the solid waste and turn it into biomethane. And so there's actually um, a plant out in uh, Bristol, England, that has managed to take human waste and they turn it into um, 56 million liters of biomethane a day. Really? Yeah. And so that's something we can see helping in big cities where there is a lot of this waste and also in developing yeah, you know, because countries. how many times have you heard New York, they can't get rid of some of their waste? Exactly. And boy, but if you could fuel New York. That'd make a huge, huge dent in yeah. the energy consumption, you know, and the where the source is sourced from. So they, they can make, they can take uh, solid waste and somehow turn it into methane. They're sure there's a natural gas that emits from it. They collect that and then they can run. You a... can run whatever you'd run on natural gas. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. It's pretty cool. That is really cool, actually. Yeah. And so at the same time, not only does it provide electricity, but it cleans the water yeah. in the same process. And so instead of just cleaning it and losing all that energy, you're capturing the energy and making your community cleaner at the same time. And you're – yeah, because – you can eventually – that water has got to go somewhere, right? Exactly. So the cleaner you can make it as you're going through the process, then eventually they can take liquids, mm-hmm. waste liquids, and turn those into potable water again. Yeah. Huh. And so it's it's really yeah. cool. It's That's pretty neat. Clean energy on multiple fronts coming well, from a not-so-clean source. Imagine you live off the grid. You could just self – yeah. You could just self uh, – you could become your own gas company. And that's something that they are sort of doing in these developing countries, you know, poor communities. They will create these biomethane gas tanks yeah. because sanitation and being able to keep water in the area clean yeah. by managing human waste well is a major problem. And so here they are not only being able to pr- help protect their clean water but give yeah. them power at the same time. Super cool. And as the father of five boys, I've always thought this was possible. Yeah, there you go. You know, just <laughs> it's just you got to think differently. McKenna Bouse is her name. Bouse is in the house. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. A little mind bender for you, folks. There's gold in them fatbergs. <laughs> Up next, we'll continue the journey and try to figure out where that old miner came from. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and happy Monday to you. Yes, you made it through the weekend, and now you're back at it. But do not get down, because we are here to help you through the Monday blues. No need. No need to worry. Dr. Matt here along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry South. The gang has gathered and we got some great content for you. We're going to be talking today about uh, how the, the People Guidebook for Great Relationships. Kim Giles will be joining us and she's going to walk us through how to have a better relationship. Come to the Simpsons house. 
Is that where is that where the good relationships are? I think so. It's not what the police said hmm? last time they came by. Not to be rude. Uh, Jeff, uh, by the way, had a great uh, trip to BYU, um, the BYU game this last weekend. That's right. And I uh, parked a mile away and rode down the hill to the stadium on my niece's pink Razor scooter. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute. That sounds like well, – so you were you had parked one car and then you were riding from one car to another car and you thought, hey, I'll take my niece's pink scooter. So that I don't – you know, I can get there in record time. It's a little more complicated than it needed to be but in the end well worth it. I almost uh, – you know, I was afraid for my life. Well, apparently – now, didn't the – I heard the police pulled you over and then they asked you about <laughs> why you stole a scooter from a little girl. You have a permit for that, sir. <laughs> no, it was very rickety. There were a lot of bumps on the sidewalk and I kept having to put my foot down, which was hurting my foot. So yeah. this is pretty scary. Well, maybe what did, what's the lesson that we learned? Do it again the next time. It worked out great. Don't steal from little girls. Okay. A. B. Uh, a guy your your age should not probably be. I, for the record, I want to note that mm-hmm. Matt, for a split second, was about to say a man of your size, but then he said a man of your age. Or, or did you say age? I did say age. And yeah. uh, let me add size. Because you were talking about you wore you used a little girl's scooter, so a man yeah. of your size should probably not be wearing that scooter without elbow pads, without pink elbow and knee pads, and without a pink helmet that has you know Dora the Explorer on it. I thought it was going to be a jab at my uh, my weight. No, by the way, great news about a little weight update. You've passed your second test, third, third test, third, and I have another weigh in. I can either do it Tuesday or Wednesday, and if I do that one, that'll be the fourth game won. And so how much money have we won now, total out, uh, out of the three? You know, 40 bucks. 40 bucks total? Yeah. That's I've netted 40. You've netted 40. Yeah. So above and beyond your entrance fees, you have mm-hmm. netted $40 mm-hmm. from the three events. And I'll know tomorrow how much I got from game three. So let's just assume it's going to be another $15. dollars. So you will have netted $55 in your weight loss escapade. You've lost how many pounds? 15, 18 pounds? 17, 18 pounds. 18 pounds and uh, netted $55 maybe. It's great. That's not a bad, that's no. not a bad thing. This is going to pay for about half of my Dodger ticket. <laughs> well, and it's going to also pay for help you be able to eat more nachos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're proud of you, whatever you call it. Uh, we're very proud of you. <laughs> I I think it's fantastic. And Pr- my, proud is a good word. Proud is mm-hmm. is a great word. By the way, my ankle's still out. <gasps> Your grankles? I still, I still got grandma's ankles. Uh, I've got I've got beautifully I've got dainty little ankles. They're hairless too, which I was surprised at actually. Yeah, I just shave. I shave halfway up my. Wow. Up my calf, yeah. Yeah, just the parts that we can see. Thank you, by the way. Is that Thank for uh, aerodynamics? Uh-huh. Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay, good. Because my I, I wear floods, hmm. and so I want... Well, sometimes the ankle just needs to breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can sometimes feel that I'm slowing down, like when I'm riding my bike. Mm-hmm. I can feel the drag on my ankle hair. I understand. So I sometimes I just shave it up. You have to get mid, that competitive edge. Mid-calf, yeah. I'd like to do what I can. 
I thought you did it because you were tired of your kids waking up to find your kids had braided your ankle hair. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's nothing worse than that. By the way, talk about waking up last night at midnight. I'd already been asleep for about two hours. Wow. And I hear this horrible sound going off in my house. And it's my – It's it was in our our empty, let's say, maybe guest room. Maybe guest room, I guess we right. call it. Yeah. It's just the room where one of my kids no longer sleeps. Right. Is this it? Um, it? It sounded a little bit like that. It sounds like a military coup of some kind. Minus – With a plumbing problem mixed in. Uh, and now you have ninjas. Yeah. No, it sounded just more like the hairdryer part of that. Oh. But someone's alarm clock was going off at midnight. Mm. <gasps> and I woke up thinking, what in the world? And then I thought, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Then I went to the bathroom. Then I went up to figure out what's going on upstairs. Right. It sounded like my son was having a dance party. Hmm. But just the alarm clock going off. It was the alarm clock. I read a uh, column out of the Washington Post this weekend about the plague of the hotel alarm clock. Oh, I mm. bet. Yeah. Because many times you go into the, the hotel and you, you try to figure out how to set the thing and you can never figure it out. Right. But the guy before you that had the room figured it out. Yeah. So the alarm is going to go off at 3 in the morning. Right. Because that's how that works. Uh, they had to get up. And they're always super big. You know, they're the big numbers, so they're bright. And if you're kind of sensitive to light... When you're trying to sleep, oh, you, yeah. you have to find something to throw over the clock. You ask to have the clock removed. They won't. Sometimes you can't even, like, reach back to unplug it because it's kind of behind. Yeah. That's oh, what yeah. You, you just they drop the cord. The cord. They drop the cord through the case it's mm-hmm. on so you yeah. can't even get to it. It's just all these problems. So it's horrible. we had a courtesy wake-up call that we did not order. It was about 5, 5.30 in the morning. Well, that doesn't sound before, very courteous. Before my wife and I had kids in this hotel we were staying. And so we would go down to the, the front counter the next morning and we say, uh, yeah, we had a wake-up call about 5, 5.30 this morning. The thing is we didn't order one. And this is the response from the desk employee. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we had a courtesy <laughs> call at 5.30 in the morning that we didn't order. And it woke us up. Okay. Sorry. No apology. Like, no sorry. Nothing. We got nothing. Yeah, I like to do wow. that. I always like to tell them, wake up, call for room, and then I always do the room next to mine. Sure. Because I don't want that jolting alarm right there in my ear. I like hearing it through the wall. It's, it's less jarring. <laughs> it's bad. So maybe it was the guy next to you. He's still mad about that. But apparently, apparently in hotels, yeah, they're not as courteous as you want them to be. No. no. Just saying. It's not really a courtesy call. You know, you vote. You can vote with your feet. Hmm. What? You go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. I guess that's true. Or you true. can vote with your back and sleep somewhere else. Yeah. I'll go to the next place with an infested cover wow. on their bed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I brought my blue light. <laughs> this doesn't really. Oh, are. don't do that. <laughs> This comforter is really blue. Anyway, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Iran has pledged to dole out a crushing response if the U.S. officially designates its controversial elite revolutionary guard as a terrorist organization. Uh Uh-oh. A crushing response. 
What does that mean? We are hopeful that the United States does not make this strategic mistake, said a foreign ministry spokesman in a Monday news conference. If they do, Iran's reaction will be firm, decisive, crushing, and the United States should bear all its consequences. Sounds, sounds like the storm after the calm. Right. Pre- President Trump is expected to announce this week that he will decertify the 2015 Iranian nuclear deal and designate the Guard as a terrorist group. Oh, boy. That's like someone calling the... U.S. military, a terrorist group. Yeah. Depends on the country, though, right? Yeah. Russia is threatening a crackdown on American news organizations that operate in the country if the United States continues to put pressure on the Kremlin-funded TV network Russia Today, or RT. RT. Yeah. Everything that Russian journalists and RT, uh, the RT station are subject to on U.S. soil after we qualified, it is a restriction of their activities. We can apply similar measures to American journalists, American media here on Russian territory, said a foreign ministry spokeswoman. She declined to elaborate on which outlets would be targeted and in what ways RT has been accused by U.S. officials as helping to perpetrate a Russian influence campaign as part of the Kremlin's efforts to meddle in the 2016 election. Russia denies those allegations. Yeah, Russia is saying we weren't involved. Don't bring us into this. Mm, this is we true. love anything American. Right. So, yeah. So, Hillary Clinton. So we have a crushing response from Iran. Yeah. And we'll have media crackdown on Russia. Did you? That's in the future. Did you see that CNN? <sighs> ouch. Wow. CNN said that uh, the Russian lawyers are now saying that they have documents that show that the Trump Tower meeting hmm. was not about the dirt on Clinton. Really? The, but they've already established that it wasn't. That was the part of the meeting that was well, but, the fake part. Well, but they all because no, the, the, fake, the fake part was that it was about adoptions. Well, that's what they came in at. Well, then it was about yeah. Clinton. But now they're saying they they can now prove with documents that it's not about either of those things. Really, that it had a, com- a completely different. It had intent. to do with the billions of dollars that Putin has squirreled away in accounts around the world that are now locked up because of U.S. sanctions. Oh, is that boy. what it's really about? That's no. probably what it's really about. I think whatever it is, it's about Don Jr. Yeah, usually. Busted. Oh, well. President Trump, Don yeah. Sr., he seems to suggest he deserves credit for the creation of the word fake, or perhaps the phrase fake news. Hmm. While speaking with former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee on the launch of uh, his new TV show, Huckabee's. All right. Not, not, not fake news show. He's got Huckabee's. a new show on TBN, which is Trinity Broadcasting Network. Oh, yeah. So you know where that is. TBN. You can find that. Sounds like a sitcom, yeah. Huckabee's. Um, so it's called, I, I think it's called Huckabee's, which is kind of a weird name for a show. Sounds um, like a pie. I'll have the Huckabee ooh. pie. It could be. Mm. Says the media, really the word, I think, one of the greatest of all terms I've come up with is fake, Trump said. I guess other people have used it perhaps over the years, but I've never <laughs> noticed it. Are you if, serious? Does he think he made up the word fake? That's what it sounds like. If Trump is indeed claiming the word or phrase is primarily of his origination, this would not be the first time he is incorrect in that regard. In May, the president claimed to have coined the phrase priming the pump, which was popularized in the 1930s as an economic term. Well, yeah. I mean, and even before that, back in the day when they needed to pour a little water down the pump to prime the pump to create the vacuum, to make the vacuum or the pump work to get the water out of the well. Trump made it up. So just a few years ago, he spoke the truth. It was kind of a half-hearted claim because he was saying, "I created it." It's possible that maybe somebody else said it. You know, uh, can I just add this um, from Dictionary.com? Yes, go ahead. Uh, I love Dictionary. In 1805 to 1850 was the first original use of the word "fake." Mm. Uh, vagrants used it as slang 
But to do for rob kill see, someone shape something dictionary.com known liberal front. Oh, there you go. It's also for their propaganda t- message. To the Dutch word vegan which Maybe. means also vegan, which is to oh. sweep or to wipe. Vegan, known liberals. Yeah. Maybe he meant to say that somebody in the Trump family came up oh. with the word fake. Oh, by the way, also it actually goes back Good to point. Good point. M- Middle English. Oh. Faken. Which Ooh. means to coil a rope of obscure origin, 1350 also, to 1400 wow. uh, A.D. It's also wow. fake bacon is faken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like ham. Totally. Sort of. Anyway, so, I mean, maybe he's a little off on who invented the word yeah. fake. But he has, let's just say, popularized it. Alternative in, facts. In a way, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and finally, a Miami, Miami beach man is facing criminal charges after he created a parody account purporting to be Ernesto Rodriguez, a spokesperson for the Miami Beach Police Department. The defendant, Ernesto Orsetti, is charged with impersonating a law enforcement officer, a third-degree felony, according to a press release posted by the Miami New Times. Defendant falsely created and assumed the identity of the victim, which was the active police officer, via Twitter. The Hmm. police report says. The police statement says that Orsetti was engaging with local media, elected officials, and the community as if he were the actual information officer, Rodriguez. But it doesn't offer any examples of how these communications harmed the reputation of the police department because Twitter deleted the account. Hold it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you can't review the tweets. No. And I'm thinking they're pretty funny. If he's engaging with local media and local political officials as if he is the actual media relations guy for the police department. Prosecuting <laughs> someone for a parody Twitter account could do damage to the Miami uh, Police Department's brand, too. Something similar happened back in 2014 when police in Peoria, Illinois, arrested a man for impersonating the town's mayor on Twitter. The man sued the city with the help of the ACLU and argued that the arrest violated his First Amendment rights. Ultimately, the city was forced to pay $125,000 to settle the case. Mm. Wow. Because it's parody. Yeah. They said it, it looked too legit. It was too real, and you've damaged our reputation. And they're like, really? Okay, what's the evidence of that? Well, we've already deleted it all. Okay, thanks. Interesting. So we'll see how that goes. Speaking of parody getting out of whack, did you hear the whole story about um, Bernie Sanders is actually found out that he's related to Larry David? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're like distant cousins. Yeah. This is huh. why you do your genealogy. Right. So anybody that thinks they don't need to know their genealogy, no, you do need to know because on PBS, the show, they have a show called Finding oh, Your Roots. That's right, yeah. They released a clip from season four, and it's, there's a remarkable moment when David, um, Larry David and Sanders discovered that they were distant cousins. <laughs> Beautiful moment. <laughs> there's been some other shows like this. I think NBC had a show like this. Yeah. And they had to pull some episodes because the actors that were being showcased found out some things they didn't like about their past and didn't want them to be out there in the public. And then, of course, they got out in the public. And then it Wasn't it called out. Who Do You Think You Are? Maybe. Something, something like, like that. that. But you found out, like, maybe you had some slave owners in your background yeah. and people were mad about that. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's real or not because they yeah. also then acted out the part with Larry David and Bernie <laughs> Sanders being, like, distant cousins. Well, that was that looks like it's from Saturday Night that Live. That is, yeah, yeah. but uh, Bernie Sanders, like, are you kidding? He even yelled like that. No, that was Larry David. That sounded a lot like him. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, you can pull off. That old sounded man like well. Regis Philbin right there. Yeah, every once in a while, into Regis. I just, I don't know. I, I slip. I slip into different people. You, just like you slipped the other day. Just like I didn't slip the it other hurt day. Hurt your ankles. I, <laughs> your hairless. 
Shiny, beautiful grankles. Dainty. Dainty grankles. They're a little pale, though. Grandma Maybe ankles. get a little sun. I didn't slip. I stepped into uh, I stepped into a pothole. This was in the midst of your courtesy nod to one of your fellow humans. I was like, if I had a cap, I'd be donning it. Like yeah. Tipping my cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't have a cap, so I just was waving to a, a woman that was waving to me. <laughs> Maybe she was – you know what I think she was doing was telling me to watch out for the pothole. Yeah. And I thought she was waving. And I looked over at her and then I stepped into the pothole, twisted my dainty ankle, which you call grankle. Yeah. And I went down like a so you wanted, bag of potatoes. You wanted a cap. You ended up with a brace. Yeah. Now Speaking I'm, of Larry David, this is a very Seinfeld conversation we're hurt. having. <laughs> hurt bad. I tried to give her the tip. I couldn't <laughs> give her the tip. I didn't have my hat. You didn't give her the tip? It's a great segment. It's a great, great show. Anyway, straight ahead, we'll be talking relationships. This, uh, this is our goal, to help you love stronger as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, she's on the show regularly. She's one of our contributors. Kimberly Giles is her name and is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. And today she's talking to us about um, – you have – I don't know any other way to put it. It's a relationship uh, assessment tool that will help you identify what of 12 roles you play. Yeah. Well, that that's our, our new 12 shape system – and and so actually, I didn't really want to get into the shapes today because I want yeah. to talk about being an approval addict. Ooh, is that? But th- that's huge, okay? Yeah, but if somebody wants to know about the personality test that helps with relationships, yeah, it's on twelveshapes.com. Okay, cool. But but I, approval addicts, it's a big deal. Oh, and in reality, I think we all are. Yeah, well, we're at, all at approval some addicts. Level, at right. some level, yeah, we we do kind of feed off some validation. Yeah. That we're okay. And I know you work with a lot of couples. Mm-hmm. Don't you hear from almost every one of them? Well, he doesn't make me feel good about myself. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. not validating yeah. me the way I need. Right. And she says the exact same right. thing. No, exactly. And and I see this with a lot of couples that we literally make our spouse responsible for how we feel. Yeah, we, we think they are the key to our validation. So if we don't feel good about ourselves, it's their fault. And how convenient is that? Right. But now some people do live with a jerk. True. But, and he is adding to the self-esteem problem right. for sure. But even if you don't live with a jerk, the reality is you have to start being accountable for being the one who determines how you feel about yourself. Yep. No, and, right. And you can do that. But I watch, I watch social media and it's oh. so interesting. I, I mean – there's so many posts that you can tell are are a PR campaign to try to show everybody, yeah. you know, how cool I am, or they're posts that are really fishing. Yeah. For please like this and tell me that I'm okay and a fishing give me expedition, right? And in fact, but then so that's one reason I don't like social media. Don't tell anybody that, don't, but it's yeah. I don't like it. No. And I don't even like I I don't know I don't I don't know. I don't like it. 
Yeah. And and honestly, don't you find that it's it's hurting a lot of people's self-esteem to be on it? I mean, I've had clients I've had to say, you're no longer allowed on Pinterest. Yeah. Just don't get on. Get off the dark side of Pinterest. you will never be this perfect right. blogging mom that has – yeah, don't even try because that's not you. You don't have to be her to be good enough. And, and it doesn't – it almost doesn't matter. Even if you never posted but all you did was read – you're you're going to start seeing, man, I don't do that. I haven't been boating. And if I did go boating, my abs wouldn't look like that. How does she get abs like that? She's had five children. Right. And then, holy cow, <laughs> how do they afford a boat like that? Everybody's life looks yeah. so perfect. So I wanted to first today maybe go through some ways, some behaviors that would help you to identify how bad your approval addiction might be. There you go. That's okay. cool. Okay. So one is that you kind of change your behavior or your viewpoint depending on who you're with. So when you're with your liberal friends, does your viewpoint get yeah. real liberal? But when you're with your conservative friends, does your political stand change? That's a, a good sign sure. that this is all about having other people like you right. and, and get approval, right? Um, how about if you do things you don't really want to do but you're doing them – because of the validation that you'll get. Yeah. Right? Here we go again. <laughs> and we'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll I, do it again. But I, you, even if you're mad about it, but you still keep doing it. Right. Because you know you're going to get validated. And and you feel like if you say no, they're going to judge you. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of people that accept callings, responsibilities, jobs. Yeah. They don't want to do. No. But they can't. They feel like if they say no, they'll be rejected. And so they have to say yes. So yeah. just just measure yourself, listeners, if any of that goes on. Um, are you a little bit of a show off? Do you really like to have a great story to tell everyone? Yeah. And and this can show yeah. up on social media too. You know, ooh, look at I got to post this so everybody <laughs> knows I well, did this. That, it's so funny because I have great stories, but I would never. I use I keep my stories for me for my speech for a speech like yeah. a speech or like on radio, but I really don't. I don't like I sprain my ankle and we joke about it a lot on the show. I really. Don't I only tell it to laugh, but I don't. The minute somebody actually sympathizes with me, then it's like, oh, okay, never yeah, mind. no, no, I didn't want yeah, that. You're not doing it to get. I just yeah. actually need to keep this story alive. In fact, my daughter said, "I think you keep getting hurt just so you can tell a story." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right," oh, but I would never tell it on social media. <laughs> I know people that every time they go to the hospital, every time they go to the clinic, every oh, time it's they're on social media for oh, sure. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So that's good, though. Guys, that's great. You know, and and we're not coming from a place of judgment. No, because to be just, honest, everyone's doing it. We all have the subconscious need yeah. for validation, and that's why I called it approval addiction because mm-hmm. it's almost like we subconsciously need a little hit yeah. of validation. And there's somewhere in your world that you are trying to get that, mm-hmm. and we all do it. And, and by the way, I guess it could be approval, or it could be just. It, I guess it could be both sides of the equation. Like, I'm so great. Look at me. I just gave to the poor. Or it's the other side. I'm a loser. Nobody loves me. It's maybe the victim. Yeah, because the it's, victim it's is the opposite atten- of approval. Yeah, but yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an attention seeker. Yeah. Right? It's attention seeking. And on some level, that is validation. Yeah, of something. It is you. that that you that you're loved enough that people will at least worry about worry you. about you. Yeah, I always laugh when somebody will put on Facebook worst day ever, but that's all. I mean, you're you're at you're crying out that you need your friends and people who care about you to say what happened. Tell us, and and that's okay if if you do this kind of thing. What I I want you to do is just notice. 
the, the underlying issue is that you don't know you have enough value without getting that. Yeah. And so I want to talk today a little bit about how to fix it. Okay. Um, but do you talk more than you listen? Um, are you always asking the people around you, does this outfit look okay? Is this, do I, does this look good enough? And I have to admit, I do that on occasion to my husband, and he, uh, uh, honey, you're good. doesn't matter what you look like. You have the same value. Um, <laughs> and you, I just need to know if this matches. <laughs> do you apologize constantly? Yeah. And are you kind of managing uh, a little bit of people's perceptions of you? You know, a couple of years ago, I went to that Buddhist meditation yeah. retreat, couldn't speak for 10 days. And the biggest thing I learned not being able to speak for 10 days is that 90% of the things I wanted to say were managing people's perception of me. Hmm. I wanted to say, oh, just so you know, I'm only doing that because of this reason. Or I, I just – I think we spend a lot of time sort of apologizing yeah. for things and managing what people might think of us. Um, gossiping about other people. Now, yeah. that, that you might not see that as an approval addiction, but the thing is, at the subconscious level, when you don't feel good about yourself, you look for the bad in others and you point it out because if you see enough bad in them, that kind of makes you feel Elevate like you're you. good, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have enough bad around you, then you're above average. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're doing terrible. fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. How about... Uh, you get angry when your spouse doesn't validate you enough. That was the last one on my list. Oh yeah, but I we see that so much. Where and, and they're tell and then you have to yell at them to validate you. Yeah, you're not doing your job. You're not making me feel good about myself. Making me feel important and and whatever. That's so true. Okay, so just step back and look at it today. And chances are we we all are doing it. So mm-hmm. there's some level where that shows up in you, right? So you want to talk about how we kind of yeah? What do you do with it? Because it? because it's if it is so universal, it, there must be. Is there just kind of a natural deficit that we all have that we're trying to backfill this hole? I think there is, and I think it actually started when you were a small child because everybody around you was constantly saying, "Don't do that. Don't be like that. Yeah, you need to be more like this." Yeah, and the message you got was that maybe however you are isn't quite right. You need to be different than who you are. And I think that was one of the first messages we got Yeah, is that we need to be different to get their love and we need their love and approval. And so this subconscious programming was kind of born. And I'd like to think as an adult, I've grown up out of caring what people think. And on some level, maybe some of us were getting better at it. But there is some level deep in our subconscious that still needs a hit of validation. And I think we notice it when we get some. And you know, I I write a syndicated column every week, right? And I would say two-thirds of the comments are negative, telling me I'm an idiot about every single Monday. (laughs) Yeah. But every once in a while, there's this nice one, right? You like that one. That was a good one. And I just go, oh. Well, Thank yeah, that, I got a hit today, yeah. right? Yeah. I got a hit. I'm okay. It's like a drug. It is. So what we've really got to do is change the subconscious belief around where our value comes from as a human being. Hmm. And most of us, we think that we have to earn value based on our appearance, how good we look every day, our performance, how well we do what we do, right? And all the validation about what a great job you did or how good my article was, that's performance validation. Um, Our property, a lot of us really base our value in our clothes, the car we drive, Hmm. do we have the latest iPhone, Right. that kind of thing. And then that last one is just the, the opinions of other people. 
So out of those four areas, we're trying to earn a sense of value. So what we found, the only thing that really works to fix self-esteem is to change the foundational belief that you have that your value is even based on any of those things. Yeah. So I believe that your value as a human being is actually based on your intrinsic worth as a human soul because I believe every human soul has infinite value and the same value as every other human soul. And you're a one of a kind. There will never be another Matt Townsend. Yeah. They broke the mold you know when Thank they made that. Heavens. <laughs> Thank heavens. But that's it, huh? That you are you're you're so unique and inherently valuable. You don't need to backfill it. You don't need to add more to it. Yeah. But the only way this actually works and people start to buy it is if you actually make it true for every human yeah. being. See, so the, you have to give up judgment that's and right. gossip. But that's why it's so hard because uh, I mean but I mean there are some people yeah, they kind of deserve to be judged, yeah, right? Right. Yeah, we can't hold on to that. You you have to change the belief across the board. Mm, so good. it's a foundational change that your value is the same as every human being's. And there's nothing you can do to earn more and be better than anyone else. Right. And there's nothing you can do to lose value and be less than anyone else. And if that's true, comparing and all that really makes no difference because yeah. no matter what boat they have or – they're, they're great stuff on social media. They still have the same value as every other human being, including me. So good. None of that matters. And and we've found after 15 years of doing this, if you will play with this enough and you'll make it the language in your home and you talk about it all the time that we all have the same value. And I've done this enough with my kids. They, they've got the program. Like, got it, mom. So I drop a dish and it shatters all over the kitchen floor. And without missing a beat, one kid says, well, mom. At least it doesn't change your value. <laughs> doesn't change the value. Doesn't change your value at all. And and they're getting it. That cool. if we believe our value isn't changeable, then we don't need approval to have any yeah. value, right? That's and so good. good. And then, I mean, then it's just – so. but it is something you have to drill and drill and drill and drill and drill. Yeah. Because you're trying to overcome nature. And deep subconscious programming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really deep. Huge. So the other thing we recommend is that you choose to see life as a classroom, not a test. So in a test, every mistake you make, you make counts on your grade. Right. Can't right. change it, fix it, too bad, you're now docked, right? In a classroom, it's learning time, and everything that shows up in your journey is just here to teach you something. If you make a mistake, it doesn't change your grade. Right. You have the same grade as everybody else. So the more that you'll see your life as a classroom, not a test, where your value can't change. And again, that means every mistake, every experience you have, it's here to teach you something. And and you learn from them if you're not so busy feeling sorry for yourself that you're now not good enough. Yeah. If you get that off the table, you can actually focus on learning from each experience instead of making it about whether you have value or not. So th- then I don't – I mean I guess – so if I feel like I have a deficit, instead of back backfilling it with uh, trying to be praised by others, I could just recognize my values not in question, and um, recognize that this this deficit I do have, which is is just assumed. Oh, right! It's, it's just, just an idea, or, or, it, or it's, it's not such, necessarily really well. I mean, real. it's kind of like if you you can say that. Uh, you know, but there's no value except when you break a plate, that plate will have to be replaced at eight dollars and ninety five cents. So there there is a financial value, but it has nothing to do with your worth. 
Right. Right. And that's the trick. That's the is trick. You got to separate them because yeah, every mistake will have consequences. That's right. And, and you and they have to be fixed and remedied. And we're using the marketplace of value that I mean that our neighbors are using. So even if I know I'm of infinite worth, if my neighbors are judging everybody by their boat, that yeah. doesn't have to affect me. Except it, <laughs> except that I have to understand that they may be playing with another economy. Yeah, and that's the trick. And I have people say to me all the time, so what if I know my value doesn't change? If other people still don't like no, me, but it doesn't what good change does it yeah. <laughs> You just have to understand that they're using their value system. Yes. And, and, it, and it may not jive with yours, but don't play their game. You're not going to win at their game. And, and at the end of the day, you get to decide how you're going to value right. yourself. That's and right. if, you, if you let the fact that they don't think you're good enough affect you, that's right. on you. That's right. You have to own it. Yeah, you can't. You can't let it in because it, it will get ugly. Oh, because yeah. Because you, you're trying to play a game that is not ever going to win. That's never going to be healthy for you. Well, Matt, the real problem at the end of the day is if you're in approval addict mode and you're looking for validation, your focus is on you and yeah. it's not on other people. Right. Or your gift or your ability to give. Yeah. Right. And make a difference in the world. You're too worried about earning attention and validation yourself. So really, in order for us yeah. to be the amazing people we have the capacity to be, we have to get out of our fear stuff and right. get the focus off us. Do you think? Do you think that... If you could break that as a generation, does the next generation have it easier? Absolutely. And then the next generation even easier. Absolutely. And that's honestly why I'm so passionate about teaching this to parents and adults because if you can start teaching your kids that whether they get an A or an F, now the consequences are different, but it doesn't affect their value. You're going to make them so bulletproof in the world and they can see everything that happens as a lesson. You got an F. What can you learn from this? Right. Is that what you want? Is it who you want to be or do you want something different? What do you think you have to do different? But through that whole process, be very clear. Your value doesn't change. You've set them up for so much better quality yeah. of life than probably most of us grew up with, right? So true. So true. And then, yeah, and then and other skills, other tools to reframe it, to see it differently. Absolutely. Now, go back to the 12 shapes for a minute. If you take the quiz and you find out what shape you and your children are, you will know exactly what type of validation each of those kids need most. Hmm. And that matters because you can validate them in exactly the right way and give them what they need. So if if people are interested in that, go to to 12shapes.com. Okay, 12shapes.com and take the assessment. And then um, talk to us really quickly about if we are if we if we are able to do those two things and and actually feel like we are here to learn our value isn't in question does it then just naturally we start to feel less inclined to seek approval yeah you just don't need it you yeah. just literally don't need it and and I see this change happen even on social media so keep going back to that where people are posting things that are now inspiring to others. Mm-hmm. And things, you know, that improve other people's quality of life. And we're using this to make a difference in the world, not just validate our worth. Yeah. You know? And and that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, we're we're on the planet to learn, to love, to grow, to be stronger, wiser, more loving. That's why we're here. But but this fear that we're not enough is the biggest obstacle. 
to you being what you really want to be and being the kind of spouse you want to be. Yeah. If if you know your value isn't tied to your spouse's validation, you, you become suddenly not needy and more capable of giving to your spouse, which makes them adore you. Yeah. Right? If right. you really want to have a great relationship, tell your spouse that they are amazing all the time. Give them all that validation. You you become the cure to their deepest fear. Or do you become or do you become um do you create a monster? Because then are you not just creating somebody that needs validation? Well, Okay, that's on them, though. They, well, I know, but I guess wouldn't yeah, it be so? It might be better true. together to say, "Let's work on this together." Where I still will validate you, but I'm not doing it. I just want you to get to I'm the point that I'm not being responsible yeah, to fill your bucket. That's it. That's right. Yeah. So you do. You need to that's have that good. conversation. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, but being the cure to each other's fear at some level. That, that I mean, yeah. You teach couples. That's, totally. They they got to know that you value them. I'm that not you here to hurt lucky. you. Right. Yeah, to create that safe space. Yeah, and I think sure. I think that's the key too is having these conversations, right? Absolutely. Just have the conversations. Well, Kim, we appreciate it. Uh, again, you can go check out those shapes at, at our website 12shapes.com and uh, also you could always go back to Clarity Point Coaching where she's got other great resources and tools. Kim Giles is her name and again, founder and president of Clarity Point Coaching. Uh Really a great resource for all of us. This is uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, we'll be visiting with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out how they're doing after the BYU football game. Ah, Difficult times. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Just a learning opportunity. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Special mission, folks. Welcome back uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and find out uh, what they're going to do to uh, save the day. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Hello. How, how are you guys? Well, I guess as good uh, as you can be when your team is one in five. You know what's funny about that sentence? I said the exact same thing to you last week when I said, well, I guess as good as you can be when your team is one in four. <laughs> you, one in five. you need another line. Because Hopefully they, next week it's not, well, I guess as good as you can be when your team's not 1-6, one one six. Six. but it probably will be. Listen, BYU will lose to Mississippi State. They're a good they play team. the way they've been playing. Yeah, they're a good team. And again, oh, I thought uh, I thought Tanner looked really good for a while. The first quarter. Yeah. Everything kind of derailed when he threw that interception tied 7-7. Yeah. That's, if if that's, football is a business... Hey, your first quarter was great, but your last three stunk. You're <laughs> yeah. a bad business. You're in trouble. BYU yeah, you right uh, now is a bad business. I, by the way, I couldn't. I couldn't watch the final quarter. You didn't miss anything, didn't I? Once they took him out, I thought, ah, oh, it was too depressing. Yeah, there's a lot of big picture questions right now, right? Like, one, why are things happening like this? We will discuss today. Yes, good. And uh, we'll discuss why this year. I'm, I'm going to tell you two things that are very different from last year uh, coming up as well. Hmm. Also, what needs to change? What needs to change for uh, BYU football? That's a uh, question we'll broach throughout the week. Uh, BYU with Mississippi State coming up on Saturday. So, to me, the third most likely loss on the schedule is Mississippi State. And here BYU comes in with uh, a very uh, struggling team, a frustrated team. A frustrated head coach, uh, and BYU with questions at quarterback. I did not think at any point 
post-2015 with Tanner Mangum that we would be at this point where we would ask the question, is he the guy for BYU? Hmm. We are asking that question now. Oh, boy. And I don't point the finger in North no, Spencer but in something. any one direction. Okay, right. There are a lot of different reasons why what's going on is going on. It's not singularly play calling or singularly Tanner Mangum. There are a lot of issues uh, right now for BYU football, the likes of which we've not seen in a long time. Let me give you two stats to uh, validate that. BYU's not started a season one and five since 1973. Mm. Yay! And has not lost <laughs> five in a row since 1970. This Woo-hoo! is unprecedented in the last 50 years Yeesh. of BYU football. That yeah. tells you how good the program's been for a yeah, long time. Totally. You know what they ought to look into? And I, this is just me. Maybe it's something about the uniforms. Maybe it's back you to. You want them to go back to the, uh, the, the old the blue. bibs? Yeah, but go back to the bibs. <laughs> the bib throwbacks. <laughs> if you could just UMass. I'm telling you. A they bib. Need a whole jar more than of the bib. good juju. Yeah. I mean, if you have something that's superstitious and of good luck. They need something, don't they? Just all of it. Even a little combined. Stitious. Combined. <laughs> Everything combined to try and change this thing and get it going in the right direction. Do you know what? Did you hear the whole story about uh, the Gator fans singing the Tom Petty song? Did you see that? I did hear about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the, the deal is, I think I, I heard, I wasn't at the game, but I heard that uh, the Cougars were also singing a Tom Petty song, but they were singing Free Falling. And uh, the, but the Gators were singing Won't Back Down. And maybe they're just singing the wrong song. <laughs> you can't sing Free Falling. Free, if, free apparently they were I don't know. I don't know. It's just what I heard through the grapevine. It's Tom Petty song. Also a great song. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Well, that's okay. So you're going to cover it all on the show today. ESPN's Trevor Maddox will join us. Sweet. You'll hear from Kalani Sitake postgame. Yeah. And then uh, women's soccer head coach Jennifer Rockwood will join us. They've won three or four of the ladies on the pitch. By the way, kits and boots. I, I heard Spencer. I watched some of that. Spencer, you yeah. were, you did a great call. You were hey, you were you. great. Thank you, my friend. That Four was exciting. Goals Saturday, yeah. Oh. Like in the first, and I loved Spencer trying to add up all the time. It was like three goals in or two goals, three goals, and he thought two minutes, but it was like a minute. It's two goals. I so for me, I was like, I looked my at my, math is I looked at my clock, and I it was two actual minutes. Yeah. Okay. So not two minutes of game time. It would have been sixty-one seconds. But it was <laughs> it was thirty-seven seconds between goals. Unbelievable. Of, and in, of in, game time. And in NCAA soccer, they stopped the clock, unlike traditional normal Correct. soccer. So when I looked at my clock on my computer, I thought, "Oh my goodness, only two minutes have elapsed." But that was just real time. Yeah. Not game time. That was game good. time. Who? 37 seconds between goals. And then later in the match, there were 49 seconds between a goal between BYU and St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Just a weird game. Who needs soccer time of possession anyway? Maybe that's what they need to start doing is in the middle of those difficult quarters during the football game, they ought to throw in a little soccer, like just those maybe those 30 seconds of soccer where BYU keeps scoring and maybe that'll you know lift everyone's spirits or something. We'll take on-the-field scoring in any way we can get it right now. Okay? Just just get it any way you can. Oh, yeah, let's hey, go. What do you guys think about that idea that uh, Adam – I don't know if it was Adam Silver that brought it up, but he did talk about the fact that they may try to do reseeding of the playoffs in the NBA. Did you hear about that? I would actually welcome that given the disparity between conferences. Yeah. 
But again, I MLS think, has done this for a while. Have they? And so they mm-hmm. kind of get rid of East West, and it's just yes. top when, seeds. When Real Salt Lake won the MLS Cup in '09, they came out of the East. Really? Yeah, that's cool. And, and like, who who says that it has to be divided by conference? No, they it's don't. It's just a league tradition. It's like no caffeine on campus. Yeah, just a to tradition. which someone said, "There's no demand for it." <laughs> yep, Selling no off the That's why it was a national story. So, um, so you're all for it. I, I would be all for it. I mean, I think it would pick up the game. It'd be, it would be. More... Well, in the playoffs, yeah, it's it just stinks to see like a team with a losing record in the East, and then a team with a make the playoffs, and then a team with a winning record in the West is at home watching. Yeah. And by oh. at home, I mean they're in Curacao on vacation. Curacao. Oh, I love Curacao. Curacao. <laughs> you mean Curacao? pronunciation. Yeah. Curacao. Curacao. <laughs> you need to get your nasal intonation Sorry, correct. man. Come on, you guys. Come on! <laughs> well, guys, we, we wish you the best of luck on your show today. We know it'll be nothing but love and joy, which is, is really all BYU Sports Nation really is about. I, I equate you guys to the, one of those really warm blankets they give you at the hospital. You know, when you've got a little cold, you're just a little chilled because the hospital air and they bring you that nice warm blanket. And the blanket is usually surprisingly thin, too. It's a thin little blanket, but it's been in the oven. Yeah. They've been baking it with love. That is BYU Sports Nation. So they're thin. They have good color to them. Uh And they're comforting. And I like to say they're hot. But Mm. not so hot you get burned. Okay. That's how we that's how we set them up. And their show is just about four minutes away, my friends. Four minutes, you'll get to uh, partake of the great love that is BYU Sports Nation. And, by the way, apparently Peyton Manning may be a GM. He may be, become a general manager next year. Of? I don't know. The Rams may be looking. Uh, the Titans. Why not mm. Tennessee? Does it have to be football? The Browns. I would say so. Then, then, he, then, if he would just go to Tennessee, be the GM, take them to a championship, then he could go run for Senate in a few years. I mean, I'm not going to run his career for heaven's sakes. You but. just know he'd be fighting the urge to get out there on the field and play himself. Like I can win this game. Yeah, but he would be like, uh, what's his name, John Elway, who takes the Broncos to a championship. Come on, it's amazing. Hey, our hero of the day is a teacher uh, that took down a gunman inside an Illinois high school after he opened fire in the school's cafeteria on September 20th. Police say Angela McQueen's quick response saved lives. A 16-year-old student was shot and later released from the hospital, and the suspect, who the police said was a student, is in custody. The shooter, whose identity has been withheld since he is a minor, acted alone at Mattoon High School. More than 100 police officers raced toward the chaos at at Mattoon High just after 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Students uh, Students and faculty running for safety reported a shooter in the school's cafeteria. It was one of the scariest things that could happen, said Brayton Davis, one of the students that was there uh, during the tragedy. But the school teacher basically did what she could, um, went in and, and stopped the person from, uh, from firing and allowed the police to come in and, uh, and, and take, a, take down the gunman. Anyway, pretty powerful stuff. This, uh, this is what heroes are made of, and it doesn't always, always mean it has to be a brave act. Sometimes it just has to be your willingness to do the difficult thing when it needs to be done. And thank heavens for a world filled with those heroes. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. But uh, BYU Sports Nation, they're up next.